Robert Mueller and Deep Root charged with fraud. Sorcerer's Apprentice released for the P3. Stern announces Insider Connected. Hi, my name is Jonathan Houston. I'm the editor of Pinball Magazine and I'm joined here with... I'm Martin Leib and I'm the editor of Pinball News and welcome to our August Look Back um, Pincast, which uh, we are recording uh, on the very first day of September. And right. I think it's fair to say that uh, August was a very uh, interesting and active month as far as uh, events in the pinball world go. Yeah, there's a, um, a lot of activity, if you, if you want to call it uh, that, a lot of stories to report on, lots of news to cover. Um, and uh, we're not doing that just by ourselves. We actually have three interviews scheduled in this podcast. So um, it's going to be a long one. I'm it telling is, you up yeah. front, yes. So um, we will be talking with uh, uh, Mike Kalinowski from Homepin. We'll be talking to uh, Jerry Stellenberg and uh, uh, Rory, and I forgot his last name. Sonuda. Right. Rory Tsunuda, uh, who uh, just released uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice for uh, the P3 platform uh, of Multimorphic. And we'll be talking uh, to David Fix, who will be addressing um, upcoming games at American Pinball, as well as upcoming Pinball Expo. Yes, yep, there's a lot to talk about. So we better not uh, waste any more time. Let's get straight on with our, our lead story, which is uh, all about the, the comings and goings and the claimed shenanigans at Deep Root Pinball. Right, yeah, the Austin-based... Uh, uh, oh, um, San Antonio. Sorry, uh, my, my bad. <laughs> the San Antonio-based pinball company uh, uh, formed by Robert Mueller, who was uh, uh, very enthusiastic in his outings that pinball was easy and he would show everybody how it should be done differently. Um, yet, so far, there's only two prototypes that show for it and a couple of claims from the SEC. Now, Martin, you uh, dove into all the... Um, um, uh, yeah, as we've been looking into the details and uh, the background to this story, yeah. and you, and um, you actually, well, you, what I wanted to say is you you wrote a summary uh, which is available on pinballnews.com. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, which uh, is um, sort of uh, well uh, the, the whole story in brief. But um, what can you tell us about it? Well, um, I, I don't want to go into too much depth to it because there's quite a lot of background to it. But the, the sort of um, the the thirty second takeaway, I suppose, for this is that um, Robert was in charge of running two investment funds called the Five Seven Five and Growth Runs Deep funds, which between them raised just shy of sixty million dollars, fifty eight point seven eight nine million. Um, now that that um, those funds were supposed to be majority invested in life insurance policies and produce um, returns of either 5 or 7% a year. But um, unfortunately, that wasn't how the money appears to have been spent, if, uh, if you believe the, the SEC's charges. That's the Security and Exchange Commission in the United States who uh, regulate investment. So they uh, are claiming that the majority of the money was actually spent on projects such as um, Deep Root Pinball, and Deep Root Studios, which made no return, and um, 
Robert also spent a sizable amount on uh, paying for his own personal expenditure, such as uh, school fees, marriage and divorce costs, um, which seem to be uh, uh, divorce and marriage and divorce, and also a condo in Hawaii, mm. which, um, having claimed that he wouldn't take any personal remuneration um, for running these funds. So the SEC is uh, basically charging him with fraud, and it looks like um, looks like the the flow of funds to deep root deep root pinball um, will have dried up, or will very soon dry up, and he won't be able to uh, continue running that operation anymore. I mean, we all sort of doubted how that could ever be a financially viable operation, right? Given well, the fact he, that he mentioned spent so that, that much. in the past, he mentioned that uh, Deep Root would cost about uh, $750,000 each month. Um, well, and, and, and that's been going on for like five years, stacking up to uh, quite a large sum of money invested, so to speak, uh, which is uh, seems to me like very difficult to recoup with uh, pinball. Yeah, as, uh, as hot as pinball is, it's nowhere near the numbers that we've seen in the early '90s, like Adams Family and and what came after that. No, I mean, although this, uh, in our pincasts, we tend to to, uh, to stick to the facts and avoid rumor and speculation as much as possible. Uh, I just had my my personal suspicion about this, which was that um, he was that I don't think Robert ever intended to get into pinball manufacturing. I right. think the idea was to build up a, a design studio, have a, a long pipeline of titles, which um, has already been announced, have some, some famous designers, some, some top-class animations, and um, some sought-after games, and then sell the whole lot um, to uh, an, an investment fund to, right. uh, to recover the cost that he, he's, he's invested in, or all the money he's invested in it, and which would then fill the black hole and hopefully sell it for a little bit more than he invested and uh, which will then cover his personal expenditure and pay for the interest on uh, which he was due to give those who invested in the funds right. but of course that didn't happen um, he I suppose when he was trying to um, take pre-orders on the game back in December that was intended to be an indication that there was a, this huge market for these games which um, any investor would see um, as as uh, a, a quick way to make make an instant return, but of course he didn't have the manufacturing to build them, and and when he did put them up um, for sale, he didn't get many takers. So that that kind of all fell apart, I think. And yeah, and we're at the point now, um, which is about five years after the funds were first launched, where he has to start paying back the money with interest, and I think the money just wasn't there to do that. And that's uh, that's the point where people started blowing the whistle, and the SEC became involved. Right. Okay. So there's one thing I'd like to add about uh, Deep Root Studios. Uh, from what I understood, the idea was uh, from the start to develop uh, their own uh, animation uh, characters, uh, which then could become uh, uh, well, uh, could could become stars in in animated uh, TV shows and such, which could be sold to or licensed to networks like uh, Netflix or HBO or any other big TV network, maybe Disney even. Mm. Um, 
Uh, but obviously, having owning that content, um, let's say that uh, um, there would be a, a, a comic TV animation series called uh, I'm just making this up, The Crankers, I don't know. <laughs> um, um, that would, uh, once a network would uh, uh, air The Crankers and it would become popular, Robert would, of course, be the first to have all content available for such a pinball machine or a video game or what have you. And uh, that way he could benefit from from creating his own content. That was, as, as far as I understood it, the intent of Deep Root Studios. But then again, Deep Root Studios kind of fell apart after a couple of years. And, well, I suppose that was the beginning of the end. Well, I think you're right. You're right. You're right. In, in that's what uh, Robert claimed he, he intended for Deep Root Studios. But of course, uh, developing characters and, and building uh, a fan base and making them popular is is, uh, is a long term project. And uh, even if you you start releasing clips online, which which obviously takes a, a big team to do, it, it's going to take um, it's going to take years before they be actually become mainstream. And that's when the money starts coming in, and, and then of course you get the the residuals and the repeat fees, and uh, you know, as, as I always say, as soon as you make any content, that content is licensable for life, really, from that point onwards. So that's why we're seeing, you know, you know Spooky are going back to the Halloween uh, movie, you know, um, and you now how old is that? But it's, it's still bringing in money for the studio who who uh, who own the rights to it. So it's it's not a quick fix. It's not going to pay back the kind of money that was invested in it in the short term. Just like the pinball is never yeah, going to do yeah, that. You have to sell a lot of t-shirts to make uh, sixty million, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, that unfortunately probably means that um, that deep root pinball um, will be liquidated. The assets will be sold off. And we already already seen pictures uh, from the the, the uh, I was going to say the factory, but the studio is probably a better description of it, where where the games were being designed, but they, they certainly weren't being manufactured. And um, it looks pretty empty and looks a sort of a, a fairly sorry sight, to be honest. It's uh, we we also heard, haven't we, that um, that various personnel from there have been uh, touting their their resumes around other. Parts of the pinball industry, right? So, uh, it, although nobody has, has really come out, nobody who worked there has really come out and just said, you know, it was terrible, or uh, we always thought it was a scam, or we never thought it was a scam, or um, it was like so, this to work with, and and it's definitely done and dusted, and I'm out of there, or I've been made, I've been well, made redundant, or laid off, or whatever. We haven't heard anything. Know. No, I reached out to several Deep Root employees who um, uh, wish to remain anonymous, uh, and which I will respect as that's the uh, professional thing to do. But uh, um, basically, they don't know anything in the sense that they have no idea what the status of the company is, whether they are, uh, whether the company is still ex- in existence or what they are supposed to do. Um, there's a couple of uh, people working. Uh, remotely that apparently have no access anymore to the uh, in uh, the, the internal network mm-hmm. um, uh, what everybody is using all employees are using to communicate with each other and um, 
And I guess they're all, they're all under a sort of NDA, not not to not to talk about the the, uh, right. the company's business outside of uh, well, without permission from Robert. Right. Uh, I did understand that uh, several employees, or maybe all of them, um, or uh, haven't been paid since uh, July, which means um, well, obviously they're they're in need of money, I suppose. It's a bit surprising, given that uh, that the company did get some some uh, uh, some COVID um, payment from, PPP from the loans, government. You mean, yeah, PPP yeah. loans. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, you have to wonder where that money went. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all we can do, unfortunately, because we have absolutely no idea. But uh, I, I dare say this will come out in the in the uh, disclosure for the for the case. Um, there, there have been sort of lots of people waving their, their pitchforks and their uh, flaming torches and calling for Robert to be jailed and all that kind of thing. Personally, I doubt that's likely to happen. Yeah. I, I think he'll he'll probably receive a, a fine. He may, he'll probably be banned from, from running any funds for a period of, I don't know, five years or something like that. And... Um, and then the rest of it, I'm sure he will have set, set it up such that he, he's not personally liable for any losses in, in the fund. But that doesn't mean he won't get sued by investors. But again, the legal process is both slow and expensive in, in the US. So it's likely to cost a lot of money for anybody to sue Robert. And um, if, if the working r- very rough figures, the average investment would have been around about um, $200,000. So, how much are people willing to put into uh, paying lawyers to pursue a legal action against a civil legal action against Robert uh, to try and get their money back when it may well cost more than that in order to actually uh, to get it? And right. if the money's not there anyway, you know what? What are they going to do? Is, um, he could declare bankruptcy personally, and that will be the end of it. But right. I don't know. It's a this is a story. It's got a long way to go, and uh, of course, we'll keep updated. With uh, uh, any other developments. Well, given the, uh, I think it's a fact that uh, Robert has a uh, um, a lawyer background, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you, you have to wonder how much of all of this um, has been done intentional, in the sense that he figured, like, well, if I do it like this, I probably get a fine, and then I'll walk. Yeah. Well, well I might I- as well give it a try. I don't think the, the that was the initial intention. I think, as I say, I think the initial intention was was to sell the companies, probably the studios and the pinball, and uh, and make make a nice profit from them both. But right. when they, when they weren't when they couldn't be sold, and you know maybe maybe COVID has has played a part in that as well, and slowed slowed down development in, in both of their their product pipelines. Um, that's when he's left uh, with a with a black hole in the funds and. Uh, but yeah, I think you're probably right. He, he, he's a smart enough guy to realise that um, he's not going to go to prison. He's not going to suffer any serious consequences. He probably won't even get struck off as a as a lawyer for this because, uh, well, without uh, without being too um, unkind, this is Texas and um, and it's not a huge amount of money. Uh, I know sixty million sounds a huge amount of money, but in in uh, in investment schemes and, and funds and, uh, and the financial circles, it's not. So I think he'll. I can't see the the feds being interested in actually pursuing a criminal case against him either. But I could be wrong. We'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. Right. Okay. Well, 
Uh, I suppose that's all we can do right now. So uh, as we have a long show ahead of us, um, I suggest we uh, immediately move on forward um, to uh, Multimorphic and our first interview. Yes, yeah, so I've got some, some good news then for a change, um, having started on a bit of a downer. So uh, this month we had the release of the latest title for the uh, P3 Pinball platform, which is uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice, which works with the Cosmic Kart Racing uh, Playfield module. Right. And, uh, well, the game was announced, uh, I don't have the exact date, but uh, second half of this month, uh, Mm -hmm. and it was immediately available uh, to download for those who already own the uh, Cosmic Kart Racing uh, platform. And... um, um, it's an interesting uh, 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 game. It's very different than uh, Cosmic Kart Racing, yet it uses obviously the same same playfield layout. Um, yes, it does indeed. Why don't we listen uh, to the interview uh, that we had with uh, Jerry Stellenberg and uh, Rory Sonuda, who um, uh, is the game designer for uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice. And, yeah. And uh, he also created display graphics, if I'm uh, not mistaken. So That's correct, yes. Yeah, so they, they can tell us all about the game and uh, and the process that, that led to the, the development and release of it. Well, we're joined now um, all the way from the uh, United States and um, I was going to say from uh, from the Austin area, but I don't actually know where, where Rory is at the moment, but we're joined by... Jerry Stellenberg, um, obviously head of Multimorphic, and uh, Rory Sanuda, who is the uh, the game designer and uh, does in-game graphics for the company's latest release, which is, of course, Sorcerer's Apprentice. So, welcome, guys. Thank you. Nice to see you guys. Yeah. Or hear you, whichever the case may be. Yeah. We're hearing at the moment. We'll see you soon, I hope. Yes. So, um, so you, you two... Um, are obviously key members of the design team for Sources Apprentice. Um, Jerry is the what, project manager, and as I said, uh, Rory is the uh, game designer and uh, does the uh, in-game graphics as well. Uh, who else is involved in, in the design of uh, Sorcerer's, Sorcerer's Apprentice? Yeah, so we had Greg Goldie, who is the main programmer, and then we worked with Ryan Tanner from the Flipping and Mashing podcast. He did all of our voice call-outs. Mm-hmm. And the illustrator on the game is Eric Ridgway, who also has done other artwork for us. He did the, the Heads Up uh, cabinet artwork for us before. And uh, may I ask, how did you guys meet, or is that not relevant at all? Uh, we met Eric through a mutual pinball homebrew designer. He actually did the artwork for the Doom homebrew machine from Matt Bonema. It's a P-Rock game, yeah? Yes, that's right. And then we met Ryan. Ryan bought a P3 uh, a few months ago and does a podcast and is really enthusiastic about what we're doing in the platform. So he's been eager to to help us in various ways. And uh, voice voice acting is one of his uh, skills. So Right. And, of course, Rory, you've been involved with Multimorphic for a long time, doing, uh, well, I guess right from the very first game, the, the Lexi Lightspeed character. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, almost almost nine years now, I think. Nine years in November or something like that. So, wow. yeah. Okay. I mean, I've been... Uh, I, 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 I've been... Uh, I mean, I got sold on it. Um, basically, the first time I saw it, just because, you know, I had the screen in there, and I was always, like, into video games and stuff, but this is definitely more than just a video game machine, and it brings the whole physical pinball and stuff into it. So, yeah, I just... 
I thought you could really do something with that screen in there. So I've been I've been bugging Jerry, you know, yeah, since cool. the first day I saw it, and I haven't I've I've been loving every minute of working on it, and yeah. No, it, it kind of strikes me as as something which which sort of lends itself to the, to this way of working. But uh, obviously, like many people in recent months, you've you've uh, not been able to work in a sort of co-located physically uh, to develop the title. So, is that something which is which just generally tends to work smoothly based on your your um, different skills and uh, collaborative skills, um, or are there certain benefits that uh, that you've found in the past from being able to to actually sit together in a single location and, and brainstorm ideas. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it certainly had its challenges probably in the beginning, but you kind of get used to it after a while. I mean, uh, lately I've been kind of joking that we've kind of been in a pandemic for the last like nine years ever since I started <laughs> because, you know, you work from home and everything like that and you're just doing everything over the internet. So, um, but you get used to it, you know, you just, kind of like we are right now we're talking over skype and you find um solutions for challenges like that and you overcome them and um i do a lot of my gameplay for example in the simulation environment that we have with um most of the time i'm not even like playing on a on a physical machine so um yeah you get used to it and then you just kind of you know you kind of expand out from there and really start figuring out what the limitations are and and uh, yeah I think it's I don't think it's anything that isn't over you know you can't overcome okay sure okay. Um, now you're um, as I said just now get game designer as well as doing the graphics now in a, a sort of more traditional new game release the game designer would be the one designing the playfield but uh, obviously with the sources apprentice the playfield design is already decided by the uh, the choice of your playfield module, which is the um, Cosmic Kart Racing module. So, how is the de- uh, game designer's role different when you're when you're um, using an existing playfield module? Yeah, so I mean that's actually a really good question. Um, coming from like a video game uh, background, as far as development goes. Uh, when I first got into pinball, like designer, like you said, is the guy who like does the, you know, like the shot layouts and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And uh, <clears throat> that was different than what I was used to, where designer is more like uh, gameplay and mechanics and all that kind of stuff. Um, so fast forward a little bit. Now that we've got a play field already, uh, I look at that and I go, okay, maybe this shot will kind of like affect this kind of thing or maybe this shot's like learning the spells and stuff and you know it's not just me doing everything but uh i i, I will i'll admit that i i did sit down in front of a you know a document and kind of like write some ideas up and i'll run that by the guys and see what they think and then we'll kind of maybe play test in our heads first before we even bring it onto the play field that's already existing and then uh once you've got those rules um, you go and you play test it, maybe tweak them a little bit. But being that the play field's already there, yeah, you're just kind of working with um, basically the shots that are there. And then uh, since there was a game already on this play field, we, mm-hmm. we, we actually we did want to make sure that we weren't repeating a lot of what we had already done before. You know what I mean? So we wanted to yeah. Yeah. we wanted a whole complete new game. Uh, we wanted the feeling of a new game. We wanted the look of a new game. And I think the uh, Cosmic Kart Racing upper playfield really lended itself really well to that. 
Okay. okay. So, so why why a sorcery thing then? Uh, where did that come from? Who came came up with that? And um, from that, what was the what does that give you as far as uh, what the player's role would be and what kind of objectives they would have to uh, achieve during the gameplay? Well, I know, I know Jerry, well, he wants to, he wants to give me credit for saying that I came up with the whole idea for magic, but um, we had a discussion, like it was like before we even started this, he had mentioned something about, he wanted to see something magical, like something with some like, uh, like really cool effects and stuff like that. You know, something that we could, make look impressive um mm-hmm. and i basically i guess i ran with that so it was like a very loose definition of like what he wanted to see and because the ccr upper play field isn't uh it's not like very specifically defined as far as like you know it doesn't have like the spaceships flying around on the yeah. on the artwork yeah. there so it has that like celestial feel so it really you know that combined with the magical aspect really it, it worked well together so um running with that um i do have you know i guess i guess partially i have bugged jerry i was like hey what do you think about like a role-playing game or something like that on the uh the p3 you know like maybe like even like an mmo this is like a long time ago but uh <clears throat> We've we've kind of like tried to stick with like you know a certain set of what we wanted to do, and this was a chance to explore at least partially some of what I had been bugging Jerry about. So I took what he asked for and kind of applied my own like personal wants and experiences <clears throat> into this, and that's what we came up with. And we also wanted something a little less traditional than the usual magic game which would be like more medieval fantasy so we kind of put a twist on it and did more of like a uh, like a persian kind of theme i guess you could say right so, well, you, so you travel uh, through different environments and uh, yeah. such as um, well, as you can tell us which environments you do travel through and uh, and and what the what the aim is while you're there oh uh, yeah sure uh let's see well you start off in the workshop which is like if you're an apprentice, you're working for the sorcerer kind of thing. Um, it's kind of like where you would find yourself when you begin as your uh, begin your apprenticeship. So there, basically, you're um, you're tasked with uh, what would be considered like doing kind of chores around the uh, workshop, which is you want to light some fires, or uh, I think we originally called them candles. Um, so you light the candles around the the play field which lights your shots up and basically when you're when you've lit the correct shot that reveals the fire you actually you're offered uh, the ability to learn the fire spell so so basically you kind of do that through all the environments right you go through uh, you complete certain tasks and uh, at one point or another you'll you basically learn a spell within that environment and <laughs> spells will give you the ability to uh, reveal other things like um, keys, for example, when the keys allow you to unlock chests that contain uh, items in them that uh, boost your power and eventually uh, going through. So there's, let's see, there's the workshop. We have the, um, so that's fire spell. There's the bazaar. Uh, I think we did ice spell in there because I think the original thinking was like, you know, there might be like, 
food stuff or something like that, so they'd be keeping the stuff cool in there. So that just I don't know, made the most sense to put in there. Uh, let's see what else we've got. The uh, Dunes, which is the lightning spell. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, and I think that they, that uh, lightning spell came from like sandstorms, you know, storming kind of thing going on out there. Uh, and then there's the oasis. Um, and I guess because oasis would be like the kind of like a shelter out in the dunes, uh, we put the shield spell out there. So in a way, each each spell kind of like in a way does kind of represent like uh, at least a part or a characteristic of the environment, you know, around each uh, part of the world. And then eventually, you know, you kind of go through there, learn all the spells, and then you make your way to the uh, final battle with the sorcerer. So, 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 right. Right. so, so would it, so would, uh, with you guys with combining you guys, sort of video game elements and uh, uh, physical pinball, um, I got the idea, especially with, and maybe it's the theme um, uh, coloring my... Um, uh, objectivity, but is this uh, sort of like a, a combination of like Age of Conan uh, meets pinball, that type of uh, video gameplay, but then combined into pinball, or am I way off? Uh, let, 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 let me take that one. Uh, this this game is very much still physical pinball. Uh, Rory's kind of environmental concepts draw in some aspects of what we would call video games. Um, the, the, the fact that you have to learn spells, the fact that you have to use separate buttons to select the spell, um, you have to manage your health, and you have to do these things. But these are kind of separate supplementary tasks. At its core, it's physical pinball. There are modes, and each mode you're doing traditional pinball things like shooting a sequence of two or three or four shots to complete an objective to succeed or fail in that mode. Usually they're timed. Um, there are some multi-ball modes. And just like most traditional pinball games are a sequence of modes or a parallel version, you can start any number of modes at any given time in the game, not, not work through a serial sequence. It's, it's, it's very much that. Um, there are elements of video games, but I would never call this a... It wasn't even really inspired by video games. It's just very much a traditional pinball feel with the magical spell navigation concepts built in. Okay, thanks for clearing that up. Now, when you uh, when you first started designing Sorcerer's Apprentice, was it always your intention for it to be a, a retheme of an, ex an existing playfield module, or did you was there a time where you thought you might actually create a, a whole new module just for this? Yeah, no, this one was straight up, let's come out with a new, complete, full game as a retheme for the Cosmic Kart Racing playfield. Because we had we had the Cosmic Kart Racing software with uh, career mode and um, the racing mode, we call arcade mode, and the head-to-head -head play. But we, uh, we wanted, our whole kind of business concept is giving people more value for their money. They've already spent money on the machine and on their Cosmic Kart Racing playfield. So mm. let's figure out a cool way to give them new ways to enjoy that hardware and ways that don't cost oh, thousands of dollars to add that content. So, yeah, this was all the way through. It was from beginning to end, let's build a secondary game, a retheme of that existing playfield. Right. right. And what did that playfield give you um, as far as developing the theme goes? You know, you've got 
you've got ball locks, you've got magnets, you've got all, obviously you've got all the LEDs, so you can do some amazing yeah. displays with it. You've yeah. got ramps and loops and things. But uh, did any of those immediately lend themselves to the to the magic and sorcery thing? Yeah. So my my objective, what I challenged Rory with, um, was simply take those features those features you just listed the primary one that i think drove a lot of the conversation or the primary two were the magnets because mm-hmm. we can manipulate the ball in um, ways that look like magic and we can take those 900 individually addressable uh, lighting elements and do really cool colored uh, effects all over the play field which uh, rory interpreted as a neat way to show off magic and spells and those kind of things so those two features kind of drove the whole decision making absolutely right um cosmic kart racing um was the first game where you could uh connect with um other uh p3 owners players all around the world uh uh, uh, uh play simultaneously on various uh or, or multiple games at the same time is that uh, connect- connectivity also applied to Sorcerer's Apprentice? No. Sorcerer's Apprentice is very much a uh, traditional style game. Um, it doesn't have networked elements. It may someday. Um, the only networking it really has is it works. It has the Twitch Connect feature that we've built mm-hmm. into most of our games. So people who are streaming it on Twitch can have their users connect um, and through the chat bot on the Twitch channel, they can interact with the game. But no, this game isn't intended to be a head-to-head kind of battle game or, or a, even a head-to-head or a networked co-op game or anything like that. It's it's very much a standalone game. Okay, And it's, it's quite an unusual game because it's, it's also got the, the health meter feature, which uh, means you need to keep your health up throughout the game. All your flippers will die and you'll lose the ball. Uh, who came up with that with that concept? Do you remember who I, came up I, with that, Jay? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I would say you, but I don't know for sure. It's certainly something we all discussed together. Yeah, we definitely had some discussions about it, for sure. I think, I can't remember when, when that creeped into, like, some of the, like, the initial designs and stuff. But uh, I will say this, that uh, kind of like what you were talking about on that uh, podcast, or the, uh, what was that, that stream last night, Jerry, how you are saying, like, the health bar really gives it the... That like role playing aspect, so I, I would I would like to say that maybe crept in there because of uh, you know like I was saying my past experiences with role playing games and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we definitely um, we all had our input on it. So like everything you see in there, we definitely uh, you know we we all come to an agreement on, and you know we want to make sure that we're making as many people happy as possible. And, and what is the public reaction to the game so far? Now, how, how's it gone down? Man, so far it's been super positive. Uh, and I think that's a credit to the visual elements of it. People that are seeing it on stream or watching the promo video or whatever, they see these really dynamic visual elements. Um, but so far, I would say almost everyone who's downloaded it... No, oh, by the way, this is an add-on game. It's a software game for an existing playfield. So people were able to purchase it, download it, and install it the same day we announced it. Uh, but we've had amazing feedback. Uh, we've had a couple people suggest a co- couple changes to make it easier or more difficult for them. But overall, uh, universally positive feedback. It's really impressive. Okay. Excellent. 
So, and this feedback is something that you go, are going to take into consideration? So, we take all feedback into consideration, Jonathan. Um, so, yeah, we have... It's we not a given in the sense that not every manufacturer does that. Well, we do. Um, we always listen to everyone. Some people suggest changes. Some people um, explain why they have... Um, certain opinions about things, and other people just say, I like it or don't like it, with no real supporting data. Um, it's harder to respond to and internalize non-constructive criticism. So um, we generally respond really well to the constructive aspects. Um, but yeah, uh, if it's too hard for someone, then we, we usually think about ways we can add operator settings or give them a way to make it easier for them so they can enjoy it without making it so easy that other people... Um, wouldn't enjoy it. Uh, people have suggested ways of making things more diverse or uh, adding features. Uh, but generally speaking, Rory's come up with a fairly comprehensive design. So we're not at this point looking to add a lot of um, new content, but we're absolutely interested in hearing ways we can take what we have and tweak things in little ways to make it more enjoyable for people. Very good. Right. Yeah. Um, well, we said uh, several times that uh, this, this plays on the on the um, Cosmic Kart Racing uh, Playfield module. Now, when when you're developing a, a new Playfield module, and and you know you, you do this on a fairly regular basis, I'd say, and uh, we talk about that a little bit more in, in a moment. How, as far as giving people, as as you said before, the the maximum value out of that um, that hardware purchase. How much of a consideration is it in making that playful module sort of easily rethemable for future titles, rather than sort of locking it down with with title specific or launch title specific things like models, signs, decals, and thing, and an artwork all over the game, which will only relate to the to the launch title for that uh, that module. Yeah, <laughs> interesting question. Uh, there's a balance there, of course, that you have to consider how. I mean, you don't want to put out a new game, a new playfield with a, a really cool theme and a really cool story that's built around that theme and not deliver the fully immersive experience that yeah. pinball people want. So we actually don't really think about rethemeability too much when we're designing new playfields. Like our, our last, the major release was Heist. Uh, we put out yes. a game with. Very detailed, fully immersive, well-illustrated artwork with uh, buildings that represent the city the game is based in, uh, features like the crane, uh, diverters that are inside of buildings, um, cool what we call uh, high-wire type things that the cat burglar can scale while breaking into buildings. It's, it's fully immersive, and that's the experience people want. That's the experience we want to deliver. So we, we all almost see it as a negative to try to mute down a playfield to make it rethemable. Um, but you don't have any sort of characters from the the, the game as models on the on the playfield. That's true on the playfield because our our the, the printed part of our playfield is the upper third of what you would generally consider a traditional playfield. Mm. And then we have content on the screen below that. And yeah. the screen is where we're able to um, add all that dynamic stuff where we can show the characters, we can animate them, we can show them doing cool things. And we don't generally throw the characters into the artwork simply because there's not a ton of room up there to do it. 
Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, you, you obviously only just launched Sorcerer's Apprentice, um, and uh, congratulations on the success of that. Uh, I should say it's available uh, from the Multimorphic website um, for $499. But um, we also know that you've got your first licensed title coming up, and uh, <laughs> I guess you're going to be rather restricted in what you can say about that, being being as you want to focus on uh, on Sorcerer's Apprentice at the moment, but uh, are you able to pin down when that will be revealed? And um, and also, you know, can you tell us whether whether that will have its own playfield module? So I can tell you for sure it will have its own playfield module, uh, and it's amazing. There's lots of really cool stuff on it. Um, what I can't tell you yet is an approximate release date, simply because there are approvals involved and a, a licensor who has to make sure we're representing the brand and everything else to their uh, to their requirements. But as soon as it's ready, as soon as the approvals are there, as soon as we're ready to, uh, as soon as we have production-looking playfields that we can uh, take promo pictures and videos of, we'll we'll be showing it. But Unfortunately, I can't tell you exactly when that's going to be. Okay. Right. I can tell you we're extremely excited about it. Well, uh, there's a <laughs> lot of people on our team that are that are huge fans of the property, and basically, I would call them super fans. We have a team of super fans of this property, so we're putting pretty much everything we can into this game to make it something special. Mm, so, maybe you'd like to uh, try and work out for yourself what that. Uh what that theme might be and, and speculate wildly like everybody else does. <laughs> um, when, when you are developing a new uh, new game, or indeed just just building regular P3 base units, do you, do you or have you suffered the same kind of uh, supply chain issues that everybody in the industry and, and multiple other industries as well seem to be suffering from at the moment with, with um, lack of parts, lack of chips, lack of uh, components? And uh, and huge price rises in in uh, in wood and, and other materials. Yes and no. Um, yeah, the uh, uh, there's been a lot of fallout from the pandemic, so the shutdowns caused a lot of things to to basically get behind. Um, we had a little bit of warning on the circuit board and the the chips from our suppliers, so we were fairly proactive there, where we pre-bought a lot of inventory so we could keep making our boards um, didn't work for every board we have there's still a couple of chips that we're having a little bit of difficulty sourcing but generally speaking the supply chain or the the flow of boards from our supplier has continued the biggest issue we've seen so far is uh, freight freight takes forever now um, our suppliers have parts. We've been able to buy our metal and our wood and our plastic. Yes, they're all a little more expensive. And no, we haven't raised our prices. Um, we've absorbed the cost differences. We haven't pushed them onto our customers. But the biggest challenge for us is um, getting things in on time. Um, something that used to take two or three weeks to ship uh, overseas or something are now taking two or three or four months. Um, I think even now the there's a huge backlog of ocean freighters mm. in the outside the ports of LA in California because they they don't have enough workers on the docks to to take care of everything they need to do so the the ships just sit offshore for literally months at a time and you're just sitting there waiting for your parts so that's not impacting on your on your timeline for uh, releasing um, your next title 
It's so far it has not. We, uh, like I said, haven't seen too many issues on the circuit boards. We have the supply there. Um, the metal and the plastic and the other pieces for the new game, so far our, our suppliers haven't had slowdowns. They just had price increases. Right. So, yeah, we're a couple months delayed on shipping things just because it takes longer for the parts to get here. But we haven't had anyone come and say we can't build something because they simply can't deliver a part. We're, we've been okay there so far. Good. Right. So, um, and since you haven't increased prices on your end, this might be a good time for people to, if they are like second doubting, like, should I get into P3 or not? Maybe now is a good time to do so. Uh, before, in case prices will increase, uh, they go up. Well, it's it's always a good time to buy into P3, Jonathan. And that's because we deliver what we believe to be the best value in the industry. Uh, yes, all machines are expensive. Whether you're paying 7, 8, 10, 12, 15,000 for a limited edition of something, um, our machine is in the middle of that range and the content that we add to it. I mean, we've done some really cool things for customers for free, right? We shipped the P3. We started shipping four years ago, and even those original customers have all gotten for free all the updates we've made over the years, Bluetooth and USB headset support, the head-to-head networked gaming of Cosmic Kart Racing, um, platform features, um, new, things like player profiles and um, the ability to save your states, restore your states, and play games with different settings per player. All these things have been basically free upgrades for all of our customers. And then on top of that, we add all the game content. So we've, we're have we now up to four full Playfield modules. I think we're up to 13 unique uh, software applications that run on top of those Playfields to deliver these pinball experiences. Uh, we have a development kit that's letting third parties develop games for it. And overall, it's an entirely different business than... Uh, what the other manufacturers are doing, and, and we think it's a tremendous value. Okay. Okay. Well, um, again, congratulations on the launch of the new title, both uh, both Jerry and, and Rory. Well Thank done with that, and uh, we we look forward to being able to play it very soon. Yeah, we hope to see you at a show sometime. We'll be uh, we'll be happy to to meet you in person and walk you through the game. Do you have any plans for, for shows yet? I know it's hard to, to be to nail anything down at the moment with the way that things are changing on a almost weekly basis. But uh, where where might people be able to go to a pinball show and uh, and experience this new game from from you? I mean, rather, rather than a, an owner who who brings their machine along. Yeah. So uh, there are a couple of shows that owners are taking their machines to, but we currently plan to be at. And of course, things may change given. Mm-hmm given COVID, but we plan to be at Pinball Expo in Chicago. We will definitely, unless something bad happens, be at the Houston show in November, and of course we'll be at TPF, Texas Pinball Festival, in March. Uh, Anything besides that is currently up in the air. Right. Excellent. Okay, well, I don't know if Jonathan has any more questions. No, I think uh, Jerry was very, very clear. Okay, well, uh, Rory and Jerry, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks for you guys. Yeah, we appreciate the support and uh, looking forward to seeing the next, the next magazine and, and news articles. Always, always a fan. Okay, well, much appreciated and thanks for your time. All right, thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. And there you have it. Yeah, thanks very much again to to Jerry and Rory for telling us all about Sources Apprentice.
Right. And, uh, and the things that, uh, the, all, the, all the other stuff going on at uh, Multimorphic. And uh, I just realized we completely forgot to, uh, to address the fact that they uh, expanded uh, not that long ago. I think we mentioned that in, a, in an earlier Well, we, we mentioned it, but we didn't uh, address no. it in the interview. Yeah, that's right, so. we didn't, yeah. So, yeah. sorry about that. But uh, still, a great interview, a great talking to, uh, to Jerry and Rory, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Good. Well, I think we covered pretty much everything that's been going on uh, in Austin there um, in, in that interview. So, let's move on to, uh, to our next story, which uh, is about the announcement of uh, Stern's new Insider Connected program. Right, yeah. Um, originally, the idea was to have George Gomez come on the show, and George was more than willing to, but not available until a few days after we would publish our podcast. So, yeah, unfortunately, um, wasn't to, wasn't to be this time. But I'm sure we'll we'll get George on again soon because uh, he'll have plenty to talk about. Yeah, uh, and we'll get into that as well. But so let's talk about the uh, Insider Connected. Um, uh, platform, I suppose you can call it. Mm, um, yeah. From from uh, uh, well, there is uh, a lengthy uh, podcast from Nate Shivers uh, on the uh, uh, Stern Insider uh, page where you just have to re- register, and but it's available for everybody. Where the um, Insider Connected uh, platform is explained. Um, I'll try to to do it very very briefly. Basically. Um, Stern Spike 2 uh, games, uh, games running on Spike 2, uh, can be, um, uh, there's a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a QR code reader, which can be installed in the apron of pinball machines. Um, players can register themselves um, on, on a special website where they will get a, a QR code that can be scanned by the machine, so the game will know who uh, the player is, and uh, the player can get rewards for achieving certain uh, tasks of or, or a number of games played or, or uh, yeah, achievements, uh, targets, achievements. Yeah. yeah, exactly. On the other hand, the platform is also intended for operators to, for example, stimulate gameplay and uh, uh, inviting. Players to to uh, come play at a certain location uh, within a certain period of time, and if they do so, they might get a free beer or a free cheeseburger or whatever is mm. uh, associated with, uh, with with the location uh, where the games are uh, available. And of course, the game could also uh, indicate to the operator. Uh, not only how it's earning, uh, but also if there's any malfunctions and uh, and so on. So in that sense, it could be very interesting for operators. Uh, although I also wonder whether operators have to be educated how to actually target their player demographic, uh, because that's something that they're not really used to. Yeah, it depends on, on uh, how big an operator they are. They're a part of a big operation. And they've probably got people who already work on this kind of thing, but for, you know, if somebody who operates a few sites, that's um, that's an awful lot of information, and, uh, and it involves a lot of uh, well, it could involve a lot of marketing as well to try and uh, to set up promotions such as you described. But the uh, the interesting thing, and, I, and uh, I'm always getting back to a, to a Gary Sternism here, but this is almost like a, a three legged stool. 
because uh, the the players get information about their achievements, their previous games, and uh, and their their history and and uh, promotions that are upcoming. The operators get information about the the operation of their game, um, feedback on the usage and earnings and, and error reports, and the other the other leg. Uh, where where the data goes to is indeed yeah stern pinball themselves they get a huge amount of data about um, from all these machines about who's playing them um, where they're playing what achievements they're they're making uh, how much money they're spending and um, and also obviously how the games are holding up as well so if, if that information if there are error reports that go into the operators they're they're going to stern as well so they will they will know so. Um, it should actually allow them to um, produce, well, enhance their their future games and and maybe software for for current games. If they find that, for instance, they, they have these this uh, super wizard mode and uh, only 0.001 percent of players are ever getting there, maybe they need to uh, go and address that and make make it more achievable. Right. Well, it's interesting, and I highly uh, uh, recommend checking out the uh, George Gomez interview on the uh, Stern Insider uh, um, uh, website. Yeah. Um, as George is uh, much to his uh, uh, own surprise, um, uh, as you may recall, his last game that he designed for Stern Pinball was Deadpool. Mm. Um, and that game sort of had to be rushed so they didn't make it that complicated, and it turns out to be one of the, the, the most appreciated titles that George ever did, <laughs> which is uh, kind of interesting because the focus seemed to be at Stern that the games, all the games have to be deep, and then there's one game that's not, and it turns out to be very popular. Well, I, uh, I, I've said this before, and I'll, I'll say it again, that um, the the... Feedback I'm getting from players, wherever they're playing the latest games, is that they're all far too complicated. That they uh, they are they're coded by top players for other top players, and for the average yeah. player, they haven't got a clue what to do. Right. So yeah, I think that that's uh, not entirely surprising. Although you know, when you produce a, a simpler game, often like uh, I'd say the Monsters is a good example, that tends to get slated as being far too simple and not not having enough rules. Yeah, I don't so, think Deadpool got slated as such. No, I don't think it did. So it's uh, you know, maybe it's a it's a mixture of things. But uh, oh, interesting talking about uh, George Gomez games and uh, George talking about of course the QR code reader that uh, the the Spike Two games can now have. Uh, Spike Two games, of course, being the ones that have the LCD displays. So uh, um, one previous to that would have been Spike One systems. But uh, yes, because um, George is no. No, uh, not unfamiliar with the use of uh, QR codes in games because when no. you brought out Transformers, right. it was actually plastered with QR codes, left, right, and centre. There like four of them on the back glass and uh, about half a dozen all, all around the playfield, all linked to various, various pages on the, I think it was transformers-pinball.com website, where people could learn things about uh, how to play the game and get more information. Um, I checked that out not that long ago, and that website wasn't active anymore. So oh. there's a lot of QR codes on those games that don't link anywhere now, so it's kind of a shame. But uh, I don't think that's going to be the case with the entirely connected thing because it's. Uh, but but the, there are there are a lot, lot of, sort of unanswered questions at the moment because the system isn't live yet. 
uh, and it's coming. It's going to. It's not all going to arrive in in one one uh, big lump either. There's, there's going to be uh, yeah, they're the building, it, part. building it up slowly. Yeah, but um, when you when you take your phone and you you scan the QR code on the machine, you are um, or you log in. I should say you lo- you log in. Well, the, the QR code on the machine. There is a QR code on the machine which takes you, I think, to the Stern Insider website, Insider Connected website which uh, also doesn't exist yet, or isn't made public, and you'll be able to register if you haven't already registered, uh, or log in, and then you'll get a QR code shown on your phone, which you can then show to the reader on the machine. But um, once you've got that, once you've registered um, and got that image, you you can keep that image. You don't need to keep logging in, because that image is associated with you personally. So you could you can print it out, you could take a snapshot of it on your phone, but the obvious thing I thought that you would do is you would have a Stern app on your phone, which you just call up and it immediately shows the QR code. And it could be, you know, with a fingerprint or a facial recognition um, right. password if you wanted to do that. But it's not it's not something that's got any monetary value. But you could, um, yeah, you could just have an app and then you wouldn't have to try and remember either a printout or a snap or where that snapshot is because i don't know if, if you're the same Jonathan, will you? if you're using your phone to take pictures you take a picture of something now and then when you come back come, come to need it again next time it's you know it's a hundred pictures down in your in your uh, in your film roll so yeah. uh, trying to find the qr code after after a while is going to be a pain so having a little app that doesn't need to do anything really other than just show you the the qr code and maybe take you to the website if you need to change the details but that, right. that hasn't been mentioned, so um, I'm not quite sure exactly how that's going to work. And, uh, and also, there's no no one said anything yet about whether at some point, or even immediately, there will be any charges for this. I think it's it's going to be free for for players, but are the operators the the uh, the pro version of the Insider Connected? Are they are they expected to have a subscription to this? Either now question. or in the future, because I suggest, um, I suggest I, we write it down uh, so so we can ask it, George. Hopefully later on. Because other than that, um, other than the, the the stream of data that Stern get back from this, now they're not getting any financial incentive. Other than I suppose that they will they will probably be able to bump up the price of uh, future games to uh, to to pay for the embedded QR code reader as well, uh, which. Which might make them a slight profit, but they have said that they are going to sell the kits to upgrade previous games. Um, no, everything from uh, from the current title back to the to the very first LCD uh, Spike Two game. Uh, they will be kits will be available, and they will be uh, uh, very cost effective, and they won't be looking to make a, a big uh, any any profit much on the sale of those. So, uh, uh, so that's good to hear. So. Yeah, you, you any QR any uh, sorry any Spike Two system will be able to have this this QR code installed by by replacing the bottom apron with one that's got a uh, a reader on it. Right. So well, um, since it's not live yet, I suppose uh, it was just an announcement. Um, let's move on to uh, to other news from Stern Pinball while we're at it. Okay. Is there any other news from Stern Pinball? Well. Um, trying to think, were there any uh, code updates worth mentioning? Uh, I don't think so. I, 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 I didn't note any, um, but then it's been a busy month. 
Copper still right. all the insider connected stuff. Okay. So uh, even well, if there was, then uh, I'm sure they'll they'll forgive us for not mentioning it in this one. Right. Okay. So well, the uh, uh, one exciting uh, news item, I suppose. Um, uh, George Gomez confirmed that uh, Keith Elwin's next game is the next Cornerstone game that will be available from Stern Pinball, mm-hmm. which is expected to be announced um, on the safe side, I say, in a couple of weeks, but most likely already maybe next week, second week of September, is, is what I've been hear- hearing. Okay, right. Um, and that game is uh, rumored to be Godzilla. Um, what's interesting is that uh, George Gomez um, indicated that uh, Keith uh, went down a route that they haven't seen in Pimble for quite some time. Mm. So, um, and he's very enthusiastic about it. Now, that's usually the the, the I wouldn't say this is the standard garage uh, Stern talk <laughs> because, but uh, well, it makes me curious. You know, I'm 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 curious what what Keith is going to show us uh, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, it certainly doesn't sound like it's just, a, just a, another standard game, um, if there is such a thing, but it's going to be um, have some radical elements to it anyway. And uh, so we'll, we will no doubt be covering that in our look back on the events of September, uh, the uh, start of October. Right. So uh, personally, I was expecting uh, a John Bork uh, game to come out, but apparently Keith is quicker. Wow. Well, John's pretty quick as well, so uh, Keith must must be uh, you know, lightning fast. But I, I expect we will, uh, we'll, well, we are expecting to see a, a price increase, I think, on uh, on this title, and which is kind of understandable as it will have the uh, insider connected QR code reader installed. But um, as we we have heard and will hear, uh, there's a general. Um, increase in, in all prices and um, supply shortages as well, which is something which uh, which uh, George also addresses in his interview with Nate. So uh, I'd definitely uh, recommend checking that out. And uh, yeah, so uh, component prices, um, wood, um, everything has gone up in price and is in, in short supply. So um, yeah, it, would, it wouldn't be at all unexpected to, to, uh, to see a price increase for uh, the, the next Keith Elwin game when that comes out uh, in a week or so. Okay, so now um, uh, speaking of uh, announcements of new games, mm. I think that's a very nice bridge uh, yeah, crossing right. over to uh, Homepin in Taiwan. It's a long um, bridge, yes. <laughs> well, it's a very long bridge, but um, uh, Homepin is. Um, um, well, they were supposed to announce uh, their um, upcoming license title in uh, uh, this coming month, um, but we are actually uh, well. We're calling with uh, Mike Kalinowski, and uh, I believe he's going to reveal it on uh, on this interview. Yep, thanks. The first first official confirmation of the title. Yeah. Joining us from Taiwan is uh, Mike Kalinowski from uh, Homepin who is going to be revealing his next licensed game, which should be out later this year. Mike, welcome to the show. G'day, Jonathan. Uh, great to be here. Well, we're uh, happy that you're uh, coming on our show as well, and uh, we understand you have uh, a scoop to share with us. Is that correct? Sure. Yes, it is. Yes, I'm 
very pleased to say that uh, we're contractually obligated to present This Is Spinal Tap Pinball. Wow. Yay, that's what we've all been waiting for. Wow, that's a title that <laughs> well, has been... I've, I've dropped a lot of hints over the past few weeks. <laughs> I think uh, you did, uh, yes. Yeah, it was quite obvious we just, that... Well, yes, most people guessed. The ones that know Spinal Tap have guessed, of course, and, um, you know, it's probably not a great deal of point hiding it much longer. Right. So, uh, well, congratulations on, on landing that uh, uh, license. I understand that uh, several other pinball companies have been shown interest in that license as well, but it, it wasn't it was, available at the time. No, that's right. Uh, there was a lot of legal wrangling going on, and, uh, yeah, the, they were spinal tap themselves. The, the actors were all held up in limbo with all sorts of legal actions all over the place, and it was a complete mess, which is why probably... Nobody else probably wanted to touch it. It took quite some wangling to sort it out, but we got there in the end. Yes, as I understand it, um, it there was a, a point, a very sort of fine line when the licence became available where the various parties had settled their differences and it was then available and you were right on the ball there and got straight in and, and grabbed that. Well, we're very lucky because, uh, yeah, well, I guess it's a case of, yeah, being at the right place at the right time, mm, partially, yeah. uh, and being a little bit, um, uh, you know, being staying on the on the money and keeping on with a few themes that we've had our our eyes on for quite some time, and you know, we don't let up on them. And something a lot of people may not understand is that uh, organising a license not only is it complicated, it takes a very long time, and uh, it, it's complex. It's you know haggling backwards and forwards. It involves money and effort and and you know, these things can take potentially years. Not mm. that this one did, but it did take some considerable time. And it isn't just the the Spinal Tap license. There's all sorts of other stuff that have to go with that. I mean, well, yeah. we've also got we've also yeah. got a license from Marshall Amplification, oh. uh, England, to use their logo on our machine and uh, and in in our um, visual section of the machine as well. And from Mapex Drums, uh, Mapex which is a, a brand of drum I'd never heard of previously. And um, they were used extensively by Spinal Tap, mostly on their live performances. But we felt it was important to include that in the game. So as it turned out, uh, something I was never aware of, that Mapex drums are actually manufactured in Taiwan. And, uh, oh, right. Apex belongs to a company called KHS Musical Instruments Company Limited right here in Taiwan. So we didn't have too much trouble nailing them and um, and getting a license from them to use their logo either. Oh, sure. Oh. Now, uh, now getting the, the license, so the Spinal Tap, or this is Spinal Tap Pinball, yes. Um, yes. That the, that's just the name. But what else do you get? As we've seen with other, many of other licenses in the past, there's, there's the music, there's the likenesses, there's the call-outs, there's, there's a whole bunch oh. of, of assets that you need in order to fully encompass the, the theme within the game. What, what did you get with your, with your Spinal Tap license? Yeah, sure. Our license is actually for anything to do with the actual movie. This is Spinal Tap. It's not... We, we can't use anything from the prelude that they showed, the introduction movie they showed, which was, I think, a 15-minute one prior to that being released, and there was a follow-up one that was released a few years later. We don't have access to those ones. We've only got access to This Is Spinal Tap and anything right. within that movie. 
any any audio, any themes, any concepts uh, is one hundred percent to us. Which brings you mentioned uh, music. That's yeah. a different problem to the licensing as well. You've got music music companies to deal with to get licenses for the movie because Spinal Tap don't own. That's that's not quite true. Spinal Tap owns some of the rights to some of the music in some countries. So <laughs> that part that part of it's dealt with. But then for other countries, and because we aim to sell worldwide, mm-hmm. and our license for for selling this pinball is worldwide, uh, we need to obviously make sure that the the license that we secured for the music is worldwide. And the problem then becomes who owns this for for this country and that country and whatever and then there's the performance rights so that's a different company again you can have the rights to use the music but then you have to have the rights from a different company to put that music in a publicly a public machine like a pinball machine that could potentially be played in a in a pub or club or whatever yes as i said the licensing is far more complex than it might seem on the surface so did right. you get everything you wanted out of that? Uh, pretty much, pretty much, yes. Um, there's a, yeah, a few little gaps that we've um, had to fill, but that's all right. We've, we've got pretty much everything we need, and uh, we're very, very comfortable. We're still doing some final tweaks. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's just what happens. But uh, as with Thunderbirds, it's, it's going to be tweaked, you know, to 99% when we release it. I'm not interested in sending a machine out that needs a code update every four weeks. That's not going to happen. Right. So, um, obviously, you can, you're can. you probably likely to use uh, voice calls from the movie because you uh, are entitled to do so. Will there also sure. be uh, custom voice calls by uh, uh, members from, from the band? I can't say that yet. Um, yeah. We're still negotiating on a couple of points. Remember, we're, I'm announcing this a little bit early because we're a few weeks away from the actual announcement date. So there's a few little tidy-up things that we're still working on, and I can't quite comment on that just yet. Sorry. Okay. Oh, can you okay. can you sort of tell us um, what kind of mechanisms we might see in the game? Uh, what 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 the the key iconic moments that are all um, icons that are captured? Within the, the the on the play field itself, or or in modes or software. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, as as Spinal Tap fans will know, uh, exploding drummer is quite obviously or spontaneously combusting <laughs> drummer is yeah. is pretty much a given. So that's obviously going to be in our machine. And um, another iconic part of the movie is is where Nigel gets trapped in the pod, and uh, so we've extended that to the pinball as well so your ball will get trapped in a pod and um yeah we've we've sort of taken on board the movie as it is and um we were wondering our initial discussions some time back were wondering which direction to take with the game and uh, we decided because our license basically revolved around the movie only that was it this this is our license We've decided to run the theme of the game through the movie. Um, so you start at the beginning where, you know, you're you're in the 60s and playing Give Me Some Money and uh, move you move through the game as the movie would progress. So uh, that's the concept behind our, our theme and the game itself. Right, but it, it'll be, it'll have sort of multiple parts, I assume. It won't just be sort of very linear uh, trans- oh, no, no. transition from, from beginning it to end. It will be a game. 
it will be a game you can just walk up to and bang the ball around and not have any interest in in the movie or or Spinal Tap or anything else. It will be a game that has drop targets you can hit and you know other things ramps you can aim for and and all sorts of all sorts of stuff like that. But uh, we've built stuff in obviously that that is specific Spinal Tap, such as uh, getting lost backstage, which is another feature of the movie. And uh, indeed, in Pinball Machine, you can get lost backstage and you have to work out how to find the stage and so on. Um, and that's that's what we've worked on. We've kept the thing light and fun. Uh, Good. There's some of the some pinballs that are out there, reasonably recent release ones that are just not humorous, in my opinion. Uh, and um, you know, to the point of being a bit gruesome. And I, that just doesn't turn me on. I'm afraid, I, and I wouldn't have some of them in my house. So we wanted to make sure that, and we we always want to make sure with licenses, including ones we're working on currently, future licenses that. That they are fun. They've got to be fun, and that's what pinball's about, in my opinion. It's got to be fun, light, happy, not gory, kill 'em dead stuff. I just don't like that. Okay. Right. And so your um, your your first title, um, Thunderbirds, that was a, was a dot matrix game. Now, yes. obviously, with Spinal Tap, you're going to have a lot of movie footage available to you, which wouldn't look entirely. Uh, great on a red L, um, red DMD display. <laughs> so you've got a, a monitor in the game as well, is that right? Yes, we have a 27-inch high-definition monitor uh, as well as an orange DMD. And it's probably, apart from our Porsche machine, it's the first commercial machine with both. And um, basically what we've done is kept the DMD for credits and scoring and things like that and some obviously DMD animations included as well but mm. the the monitor itself can then show uh, clips from the movie for example um, uh, at appropriate moments in the game and uh, we're entitled to use anything as I said earlier from the movie so we can we can chop bits out that apply to the part of the game you're playing currently on the on the screen but uh, I'm not a fan of screens you know we've sort of been forced into a corner to include one because that's what people expect these days in inverted commas. And um, I do take on board the fact that a screen certainly enhances uh, spectators, um, you know, view of the game as you're mm. playing it yourself. But, you know, uh, games I play that have got a monitor, I never look at the monitor. I rarely look at the DMD. And... Um, you know, it, it just that's not where the game is. The game is mechanical and it's on the play field. But uh, I do see how the uh, the monitor can certainly um, enhance the, the whole situation for observers, there's no doubt. Right, okay. Now, Spinal Tap, or this is Spinal Tap, um, is a movie about a rock band. Um, but, um, well, does it, 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 if, if you take it to pinball, it's not just a rock band pin because you're integrating a movie. Does it make that uh, uh, more difficult or easier for you to implement well, that theme? Funny is it's, it's sort of a failed rock band, if you like, trying to make a comeback, uh, at which they fail miserably. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's sort of a, a Debbie Downer, really. And, um, but the the movie manages to be very humorous without being down and out and negative about things, and and I think that's that's something that is the genius of the people that created it. I mean, they they've managed to make a movie about something that you certainly wouldn't usually want to see a movie about, 
And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how to answer your question. Sorry. <laughs> okay, well that's okay. Um, aside from uh, designing and working on the design of, of uh, this pinball machine with the team, um, any other? Uh, activities you've been up to that you would like to share with us? Um, well, we've we've cemented our our aftermarket boards situation. We've got a, a two dedicated staff working on those boards now. You know, that's pretty much a cemented ongoing business for us, which is great. And um, yeah, those dedicated staff, we can pull them off that job when when needed, and they can assemble boards for tap, for example. Um, we we still do all our boards and and we'll continue to do all our boards in house, uh, so we can keep tabs on all that. All of our boards for tap are new and they're all, with the exception of a handful of components, they're all through hole again, so that any servicing needed is very simple and easy to do. And I know there'll be people out there that say it's easy to work on surface mount. Well, sure, yes, it is for many people, including us. We're quite conversant with. With surface mount stuff, we manufacture for some outside companies as well in surface mount. But uh, for the average person repairing a pinball machine, replacing a blown transistor or something, they don't need to be mucking around with surface mount. And uh, again, in my opinion and in my view as an electronic engineer, surface mount is basically throwaway. And uh, that's not what we're trying to build. Mm. Well, on, on that kind of uh, point... And associated things. One of the one of the points we've we've uh, brought up a few times in the past is about the availability of parts and um, and supply problems, and also the cost and the cost of actually getting the, the uh, those components in and getting a completed product out. How's that um, How's that impacted on on the process of building this game and? And your uh, your board as well in in getting the components and and shipping them to shipping the completed products to the buyers. Well, it's it's been very tricky this past couple of years, and I'm sure everybody's had lots of headaches as we have. Uh, basically, there's practically no airmail out of Taiwan, and hasn't been for a couple of years, with the exception of a couple of countries. It's been basically DHL or EMS only for shipping. So. Out the window immediately goes any sensible shipping costs to anybody, and uh, we we can see this now with our uh, the toppers that we've yes. completed yeah. underbirds for pre-order buyers. We've got a big stack of them there sitting finished, and I had hoped to be able to ship them out because they only weigh three point four, I think, kilos. Uh, but the problem is they cube at 10.4 kilos and the shipping cost to Australia, for example, is just a dollar or so under under $200 to ship the thing. And um, wow. we've had uh, half a dozen pre-order buyers happy to pay that $200 in order to get it because it's it's pretty speedy delivery. They get it within, you know, four or five business days. Uh, so they've, they've been happy to, to pay that to get the topper. But others, of course, have balked at the $200, and fair enough too. Um, when we start shipping tap, we can obviously include them in the container at no charge. But then, of course, depending on where that container lands in Australia, they're still going to be up for some sort of delivery cost to, to their place from the, the container arrival depot. So um, there will still be some sort of cost. But, yeah, shipping cost has been one big problem for us. And, and I've got to say that 
you know, as we started ramping up maybe a month or two months ago and started ordering some parts in quantity to build Thunderbird, to build um, Spinal Tap, uh, the price of things has just gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. phenomenal. Uh, you know, things that – and it's not it's not any one thing. It's across the board, you know, from components to, to blank printed circuit boards to motors to anything, to, to printing – Every single thing we touch has just gone through the roof, and some things have, have like not just doubled in price; they've gone up more than double in price. It's just crazy, uh, and you know it really makes us shake our heads, thinking, "Why? How can this be justified?" I don't know how they're justifying it, but it's simple. They say you only want five hundred of them; that's the price. Otherwise, you get a you get a dial tone on the end of the line. You know, take it or leave it. They're not interested in haggling. That's the price. And uh, I'm sure everybody's having the same problem. Uh, it's just the prices of things are going through the roof, just the price of packing, the price of, of packing for the Thunderbirds toppers. I think I think we ended up at about 25 Australian dollars, might be more, might be closer to 30 Australian dollars just for the packing for the topper. Wow. Uh, and, you know, we'd sort of budgeted 10 or $15 for that. And... But- um, which yeah, just, I just, still think it's uh, quite a lot, but okay. A lot. That's, well, yes, but we're only we're only making a small quantity. You know, it's only fifty, sixty, something like that for the pre-order buyers. It's not not like we're making a huge quantity of them. Right. And uh, is, is so, uh, are, are all these things sourced locally, or uh, do you have to import any any of this? We source probably eighty percent of what we use in Taiwan, and uh, right. prefer we prefer locally made where we can. We prefer again as we were as we did in china we prefer to deal with small mum and pop businesses where possible um i find it's far easier to get better service like that um there's a couple of places we used like a, as a perspex place that we use to get uh, plastic cut they're very very good because we, we get on very well with a couple of people there but it's a huge business and you know we go there and order 100 pieces of perspex cut to this particular size and they're just not interested you know and uh it's a quantity thing. We, this is the problem we've been battling with right from day one many years ago about the quantity problem making pinball machines. You know, if you make a widget and you make 100,000 widgets, you get the attention of all the suppliers. But when, yeah. you're only, when you're only going to make, you know, hundreds of pinball machines, they really just lose interest. You know, I mean, the power supplies that we picked up today, I went to the to – the, um, the, the, um, Meanwhile, factory and picked up a hundred power supplies today, and you know they just weren't that bothered. You know, do you want them or don't you? You know, it's, uh, it's only we don't really care. You know, if you want ten thousand, we'll talk to you. Sit down, have a cup of coffee. You want a hundred? You know, they don't even want to open the door. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, um, when's the official announcement due? Then, um, when are distributors? going to be able to put this game on sale and start taking orders for it? Our official announcement uh, was scheduled for about two and a half weeks' time from today, and um, shipping was going to commence before Christmas. But, again, <laughs> costs on that. Uh, I sent a pallet to Canada, and the quote we originally got for sending that pallet about, oh, I don't know, about a year ago, I guess, and it was something like, to send a pallet to Canada from Taiwan. Uh, When we eventually shipped it, it was $1,100. 
Wow. Uh, and not that. Not only that, we had to wait about three weeks before they would even pick it up. They just, uh, you know, they're so behind and so back. Uh, you know, I'm being quoted now for containers uh, to Europe. Um, I'm being quoted, you know, two, three months delivery time and eight to $10,000 for a 20-foot container. It's yeah. just absolutely crazy. Yeah, and this is obviously going to reflect in the cost of the machine, I'm afraid. You know, all yeah. of these costs are going to add to the to the bottom line on, on the cost of the machine and there's very little that we can do. It's it's either it's either that's the price or we just don't build it. It's as simple as that because there's nothing that we can do as a small manufacturer about all these costs. And I'm sure there's many, many other companies in the same situation. Right. Presumably yeah, that well, wouldn't it wouldn't change if you even if you weren't in Taiwan, you know, if you're in Australia, say building it, you still have the same issues. I think we'd have worse issues, worse issues because we'd be importing most of the mechanisms from America and so on, and rather than making them ourselves. <laughs> and as we've just discussed, the shipping costs have gone through the roof. So, mm. you know, we wouldn't be any better off. We'd, we'd probably be worse off. Right. Yeah. Apparently, there's a huge uh, shortage, shortage of uh, containers uh, from the uh, basically the, the East China Taiwan that area to Europe. So that that might explain lot, for those not aware. A lot of this, uh, problem, a lot of this problem was was brought on by by the virus because uh, lots of ports and, and so on were shut down and shipping was shut down. And so the the availability of, of ships to move the containers was limited and the availability of ports to handle the ships, load and unload them was, was hampered. And I think all of that has kind of compounded the entire problem. Right. So, oh well. So, uh, so the announcement was supposed to be like two and a half weeks from now, um, and you start you hope to start shipping games before Christmas. So, yes. um, 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 one of the things that uh, well, you, you mentioned, uh, you're in Taiwan now. You uh, were originally based in China. Um, It seemed to me you sort of downsized uh, uh, the size of the company, so to speak. How's that working out so far? Very well. Yes, uh, we've got leaner and meaner. We've we've refined the things we work on. We, we are, as you know, we were fairly advanced on uh, Ride the Wave, which is a sort of an ice cold beer clone, if mm -hmm. you like. Uh, we've given that project to uh, our good friends at Weechi. Uh, they're a very, very huge company, very close to us, and uh, we're going very well with them. And uh, they've done a remarkable job of, of modernizing it and made it look quite smart. It's it's very snappy-looking machine, far better than, than we could have done. And, uh, but it's it's relieved us from, from dealing with the finalizing of that machine and, and the trimming and the selling and all of that sort of stuff. And, uh, on that subject, too, I, I would like to point out to your listeners that we – Home pin don't sell direct. We mm. are a manufacturer and we sell to agents. And uh, yeah, we certainly deal with any any issues or problems or servicing issues, and that's not a problem at all. Anyone is welcome to contact us at any time uh, if they've got a problem. But uh, as far as new sales go, we only deal with agents. And the agents deal with the end customer, and they're in the best position to deliver machines, set them up and so on, and take trades and offer finance, whatever. And we're just not geared to do that. So uh, you know, we, d we don't sell to end users. 
So being a, a relatively small company at the moment, I guess it'll be you'll be looking to bring some more people in to when you actually start producing a tap. And um, you now, what will happen if this turns into like a, you know, a massive hit and it's hugely popular and and do your distributors get uh, thousands of orders? How will you be able to cope with that? Well, we we intend to stay small. We're not we're not we've got no intention of uh, of being a competitor for any of the existing companies whatsoever. Uh, we run our own race. We don't copy or do what anyone else does. We just do the best thing that we can do. Sure, and, but you, uh, you can still end up with a runaway hit, even if you oh, <laughs> if you try not to get one. Yeah, yeah, we could. Um, we just don't want to get too big because uh, it's just it's. You know, I've been there, done that. I in China, we had a staff of twenty. We had a fairly large factory, and uh, you know, it just was too much drama. And um, I, I would much rather stay small, keep it lean, lean and mean. And uh, you know, all I can suggest to people is, if they are interested in the machine, then they should contact their their distributor as early as possible and express some interest in it. And um, you know, we're not doing pre-orders. We don't, as I said, with Thunderbirds, we made a very big mistake by doing pre-orders. Uh, I felt that was uh, necessary at the time because we were brand new and I wanted to gauge how much interest there was in the machine. And um, yeah, before I sort of launched into a multi-million dollar overseas business, and uh, I was quite surprised actually at, at you know the response and the people who did in fact pre-order uh, was quite amazing. And um, we just, but then of course, you know, we had the complications, as everybody knows. We had delays. There was delays because of lots of matters, and then my wife passed away, and that created more headaches, and and uh, on and on the delays went. And in the end, I'm pleased to say we were able to complete all of those machines and make everybody whole. And now that we've completed the toppers, they're sitting there, and they, you know, people are getting them, and and that's the end of our our um, obligations for Thunderbirds to pre-order customers, if you like. And uh, we're still helping people that have problems and, you know, if they have a breakdown or something like that, we're more than happy to help them with anything they need, any assistance or parts or anything, no problem at all. Uh, that, that's not that's not what I mean. It's just that uh, we we don't want to get big. It's simple as that. Mm -hmm. We want to stay small and um, and... Yeah, we learned our lesson about pre-orders, so we're not interested in dealing directly with customers for sales at all. Um, and they can the, the agents can deal with all of that stuff. So my best advice is if you are interested in this is Spinal Tap Pinball to to see one of our agents and tell them that you're interested. That's the best thing you can do. Okay, and, so um, uh, would you remind us which agents people can uh, uh, can contact? Happy to, happy to give them some free advertising. <laughs> <laughs> we've got um, we've got Stefan RS Pinball in Austria, who's who's handling most of of Europe stuff. He's got some very good setups there, and uh, he's he's most certainly the the man you need to contact there. Uh, we have Nitro Pinball in Canada, and um, he's one hundred percent. On our side, Highway Games, of course, in Australia, still our agent, despite what uh, some of the the weird uh, keyboard warriors like to say. Uh, <laughs> we're still very much uh, happy with Highway Games as they are with us. And um, we have Pinball Star in the USA. 
Joe Muhart. Oh, yeah. He's a top yep. player, and uh, he's got his own contacts and things there. They're our, they're our four agents, and um, again, we don't particularly want to spread ourselves too thin and have agents in Afghanistan or Argentina or anywhere else. Um, just that's keeping it small and lean and mean. That's that's what our aim is. And will those uh, agents or distributors be taking orders? now or do you have to wait until uh, you actually well, are allowed <laughs> to officially announce it well i'm announcing this a little bit early and they will be caught by surprise but i'll be emailing them <laughs> in the morning uh, and advising yes. them that Sorry, the, cat's, guys. Cat's out, the cat's out of the bag and um that he, yeah, we better open your order book and whatever um yeah there won't be too much of a wait we know how to make machines now we're not new uh, we're not unknown uh we haven't taken pre-orders None of that stuff that that seems to attract lots of bad publicity. And um, you know, if you place an order and you place a deposit with your distributor, that's got nothing to do with me. And um, you know, if the game takes a month longer, well, it takes a month longer. So be it. And right. um, that, that's just just how it's going to be. Right now, uh, uh, people might be interested in the game based on the theme, but. Um uh, it always seems to be the wise thing to do to to first uh well either play a machine yourself or mm. at least watch some uh, some gameplay video when do you think we can expect some gameplay video uh, from you uh, to showcase what what the playfield looks like and and what the game is uh, actually about we're we're not going to release anything like that at all and uh, i don't believe that that's our business to do so. Our business is to design and make the machine and ship it out. And I'm going to leave that in the hands of our distributors to deal with that the best way they think they need to deal with it in their area. Uh, whether they want to have a launch party or a, an online thing, that's entirely up to them. I know that uh, some other manufacturers have all sorts of razzmatazz and online stuff and show it in its glory and so on. Well, that, that's great. That's their approach. And they need to sell multiple, multiple thousands of machines to make all of that work. And, um, you know, we're just, we're just not in that business. Uh, so I, I would rather leave that glory, if you like, to our agents and let them exploit that um, to their advantage, really, and say, well, here's a brand new machine out of the box. Come on down next Friday for beers and let's open it up and see what it's like. I'm sure they'd be very keen to do that, but uh, the 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 key thing then is when are they going to get a game that they can start working? They can start promoting it. You know, if if they can't promote in that way until they can't show pictures, they can't show gameplay video, they can't sure. let people put their hands on it until they've got the machine. When when will that be? Well, that's <laughs> we. We're, like I said, we're not taking pre-orders. The games yeah. will be shipped when we finish them and uh, they'll be available to buy when they arrive at, at agents. It's it's that simple. Uh, but all those you know, agents are going to buy goal. some, aren't they? So. Our, well, our goal is that, oh, of course, oh, we've got we've got orders on the books right now. Right. And uh, uh, those machines, we, we will start manufacturing within the next 30 days and those machines will be shipped out of here commencing before Christmas. Uh, but due to the vagaries of the shipping currently, who knows mm. when they're going to arrive. Usually I would say, you know, 20 to 30 days maximum for shipping, but at the moment it's just who knows. So uh, I'm really not going to comment or be drawn on that because all we can do is build them and have them ready and advise our shipping agent that there's a container ready to go. So 
uh, I would imagine that machines are probably not going to arrive in time for Christmas, but um, they certainly should early in the new year. I assume air freight is, is not an option then. Oh, we can air freight, but who wants to pay the $4,000? You know, it's, um, it's just not worth it. Well, well, in my opinion, my opinion anyway, you know, maybe mm. some people will. I don't know. Um, that will be up to the agents to decide. I'm quite happy to call DHL for them and load it in their truck, but, uh, um, you know, I'm not going to get involved in air freighting one anywhere. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, exciting news, I suppose. Uh, this is Spinal Tap, a theme that that has been um, uh, on the wanted list of pinball enthusiasts um, all over the world, I would say, uh, finally getting uh, realized. Congratulations on landing that license. Um, at this point, anything else you would like to add? Not really, other than that we, uh, we've pulled out all the stops and we, as I said earlier, learned a lot of lessons from Thunderbirds. Um, we've moved forward from the good and the bad that we, we learned from Thunderbirds. There was a lot of good things as well. And we, uh, we're we doing our very best to make, make this a fantastic game. I think it's a great game. And, um, yeah, we, we one thing that I will say is if you're looking for a game with deep rule sets, don't buy Spinal Tap. Simple as that because that's not what Home Pin makes. Uh, we make a fun game which has got rules by all means, but it's not going to be... 10 fathoms deep and uh, that's just not that's just not our business um, so yeah there's fair warning for those that like games with deep rule sets <laughs> okay well fair enough I suppose so uh, well thank you for coming on the yes indeed show. thank you thank you for uh, for for the scoop no problem thanks for having me Oh, you're very welcome. And if there's any other news, we'd be happy to have you back on our show uh, in the future. Yeah, sure, I'm, I'm sure I can update you with some things as 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 production actually starts to ramp up. Like I say, that's going to be within 30 days. So there might be a few interesting snippets there for if anyone's interested in the actual manufacturing process. Uh, but like I say, we're well versed on that. We know how to do it and what to do and what not to do. And that, that's hard one hard won information and mm. hard won skills that, that cost us dearly. It cost us huge amounts of money and time and effort to, to learn those skills. And as, as some you know, other companies recently have found, it's <laughs> pinball is hard. It is. <laughs> well, we, we, we'll, uh, we'll hope to have you back next month. Then. You, can, you can update us on, uh, on, the, on the progress of TAP. And, uh, and thanks again for, for coming on this, this month's podcast. Uh, thank you, Mike. No no problem, Martin and Jonathan. Great to talk to you. Thanks very much. Well, thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. Um, so, um, lots of uh, interesting information uh, hearing uh, from Mike. It's always good to hear from Mike. Uh, it's uh, kind of refreshing to have um, uh, him on the show. Not everybody may be pleased with, with everything that he says, but... Um, um, no, he, he's running the company, and it's his company, and he'll... He'll produce the games that he wants to produce, and he will uh, he will continue down that route. And uh, it's also very interesting to hear about the sort of the behind the scenes and the financials of, of running a pinball company like like he does, and the the, the way that uh, the price of shipping has uh, gone through the roof, and um, and the problems it's causing in, in uh, not just for for him to make games, but for for game buyers. 
to actually get their, their games and and their toppers as well for uh, right. like Thunderbirds. Yeah, yeah, it's it's almost ridiculous how uh, postal companies are charging so much extra if if something that doesn't weigh that much but has a a, a big size, mm. uh, then you just still have to pay. Um, oh well, I, on one end I can understand it, but oh, it was so much easier ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, probably ten years ago they were saying it was, it was so much easier that ten years earlier than that as well. Yeah, uh, oh, uh, no doubt. Yeah, so. Um, okay, so uh, well, I think Mike's pretty much told us everything that's, that's happening at uh, at Homebin that uh, that he's that he's able to at the moment. But so we'll we'll look forward to to seeing details of uh, uh, Spinal Tap. Oh, this is Spinal Tap to give it its its correct title, right. uh, just as soon as um, it's it's officially revealed, which uh, which won't be well, won't be long. Uh, yeah, uh, we hope to have uh, pictures within a month. Although, um, well, I wouldn't be surprised if there uh, could be a slight delay, but uh, hopefully not in the production of the game. So, um, oh well. Um, and uh, from from. Uh, one delayed announcement, I would say. Um, oh, we can you're on bridge, fire today! Oh, we can bridge back to another sort of delayed announcement for uh, for a game. Um, Chicago Gaming, yeah, um, have announced at the Southern Fried Pinball, um, Southern Fried Gaming Expo, I should say, um, have announced. Uh, their next remake will be Cactus Canyon. Yes, no, no great surprise there. Well, we think we we even trailed that last time. So, uh, but what what was interesting was that they were we were expecting them to, uh, and it was it was Ryan White who was uh, at the show talking. We're expecting Ryan to bring with him some examples of the Cactus Canyon remake, but unfortunately, um, it had to that reveal had to be delayed. Due to um, delays in in licensing, uh, getting the approval for licensing, licensed uh, assets and some parts as well. So uh, the the Monday before the show was due to start, the Monday evening he uh, called it and said, "No, we're not going to be taking the game." But he did um, he did make the announcement that it is the next title, and he revealed some details about it in uh, in his presentation, saying that they already had eight hundred and fifty. Printed playfields for the game, all ready to go into production. They have uh, completely rewritten the operating system as well, which allows them to. Well, first of all, it allows them to combine the Chicago gaming specific menus, which were was kept separate from the from the standard Bally Williams ones in the in the um, settings and adjustments menus. But now they've been able to combine those into a, into a unified system, which obviously makes a lot more sense. But Probably more importantly, for certainly as far as players go, it allows them to change the game code and add more features, uh, new modes, uh, adjust how other modes work, and that's something they're, they're definitely going to be doing on uh, the Cactus Canyon game when when that is released. Uh, they, what one part of that is a um, a mini game they've added, which uses the uh, the topper, the new topper for for Cactus Canyon, which. We, we um, I haven't seen yet, but I believe it's it's going to be a sort of uh, shooting gallery type topper. So it's right. actually interactive, and and uh, and the, the game 
stops while that game is played out. So that's a, that's a new mode, kind of like a video mode, but it's not video, it's, it's physical. So uh, right. that's, that's a new development. Yeah, uh, I don't I know if you're you know, able to uh, expand on that at all, Jonathan. Well, I think uh, Ryan mentioned at the uh, seminar that the topper in itself has more uh, inputs than a uh, uh, traditional electromechanical game. Hmm. Uh, which means there's uh, um, uh, there's there's a lots of um, uh, well switches or optos that that can respond to uh, whatever uh, the player is uh, doing because uh, interactive toppers suggest that the player should be doing something and the shooting gallery considering the theme uh, does make a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah, whether there'll be a you know. A a light gun um, as part of the game that you, you pick up and, and shoot at it, or whether there's, you control it with a, control something with the flipper buttons, I don't know. But uh, it's, uh, it's certainly a, a new idea, and it's, it's great that they're able to add it to, uh, to an existing popular title. Right, yeah, and uh, well, the interesting thing is if you're familiar with the uh, Cactus Canyon game, uh, obviously uh, that has the capability to sort of stop the ball... Mm. The in lane, um, yeah, for showdown, uh, yeah. yeah, for showdown, which normally is uh, the four stand up drop targets that that pop up on the play field. They might have switched that completely with uh, uh, doing something interactive with the topper, so uh, it could be very interesting. Yeah, and also obviously opens the door for uh, changes to be made to to other uh, either existing or future remake titles. I don't think they intend to go back and do redo uh, anything in uh, add any more features to Medieval Madness, Saffron Mars, or Monster Bash. They're they're pretty pretty rounded games, I think. Um, so I don't think there's that desire amongst the buyers or the players. But it's an option, and it, uh, it's certainly something which has been done with other games in the past, where right. where code has been enhanced. Uh, in, you know, obviously, Cactus Canyon itself was enhanced as. Uh, with the with the continued version, because uh, there was a lot of stuff that that, uh, that could have gone into the game but didn't necessarily. And although the the Cactus Canyon continued version is not what Chicago Gaming are producing, they do say they have gone back to the original game designers to find out what features they wanted to put in the game but but couldn't, and they're trying to incorporate those into the remake. So it's uh, it's like to be significantly different. From the actual production Cactus Canyon game. Right, okay, so now um, the whole seminar with uh, Ryan White is available on the uh, Pinball News website, which I highly recommend uh, checking out that <laughs> seminar. Uh, one of the other uh, interesting uh, highlights, I would say, is uh, Ryan White indicating that he has currently five pinball projects in the work. Mm. Yes, I'm busy. And, uh, and, and he's hoping to get to two games a year. Yeah, and um, the, the, they also intend to bring Medieval Madness back onto the production line, the remake version, uh, but that won't be until early 2023. So we're probably looking at the best part of 18 months before that, that game will, will be back in production. Right, okay, so... Um um, originally, um, the uh, the plan was to have uh, Ryan White come on the show uh, and talk about uh, the seminar that he did. Um, I reached out to him, I talked to him yesterday, and he suggested that at this point, he doesn't have much more to say than what he did at the uh, at the seminar at Southern Fried Gaming Expo. 
but he's very interested to, to come on our show next month. Yes. Hope, mm. uh, hopefully, uh, obviously, we can't look in the future. Uh, he will have uh, more info to share with us. Yep. Back then, so uh, hopefully we'll have him on the show next month. Yes. Yeah, so that's George and uh, Ryan uh, already lined up for next month's pincast. Right. Okay. But um, but that's uh, that's coming up. So hopefully. Here's a note to uh, pinball designers and uh, and owners of pinball companies. If you want to come on our next podcast, pick a number. <laughs> Well, let's um, let's let's get back to to this pincast because we've 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 got more more to talk about, and um, let's let's head over to not a million miles away from uh, Chicago gaming, but to another part of the Chicago Greater Chicago Land, I suppose, and um, go to American Pinball uh, up in Palatine, and uh, they're they're I, gonna, I keep wanting to say they're their new factory, but it's not not that new now. They've been there for quite some time, um, right. but um, we've got a well. Let, let's bring in their um, their director of operations and marketing, which is our good friend David Fix, who right. uh, also happens to be heavily involved with Rob Burke in the organisation of the annual Pinball Expo show, which uh, this year is uh, in a new location in Schomburg at the uh, Renaissance uh, Conference Center or and hotel there. Right. So there's an awful lot to talk about, um, not only the announcement of their upcoming fourth title, but future games in development and um, what, they, what they've got coming up in, in the next couple of weeks, I suppose, and longer term, what's, what's going to be, uh, what we've got to look forward to for Pinball Expo. Yeah, so... Um Joining us right now from American Pinball is uh, David Fix, who is also uh, heavily involved in Pinball Expo. So um, let's quickly talk to him briefly uh, about the new developments at American Pinball and also what we can expect at the upcoming Pinball Expo. Hello, Dave. Are you there? Yes, Jonathan. Good to see you and uh, talk to you and Martin again. Martin, how are you? Always a pleasure to hear from you, David. And uh, yeah, um, so so what are, you, what are you able to tell us about what's uh, what's been going on at American Pimple? Well, I tell you, it, you know, this pandemic has been um, kind of interesting, just even globally. I mean, it's been kind of uh, we had high expectations of uh, releasing two games this year, but uh, you know, it looks like we'll probably still Still shooting for two, but definitely we're going to have one. Um, we've been uh, delayed a bunch of times just because of shipping containers and so forth. And, and, and when you think about it, listen, um, it's not affecting just us. It's affecting every economy. I mean, if, it, if you have billions of dollars from Ford and General Motors with cars sitting there with no chips and so mm-hmm. forth, listen, uh, a small pinball factory <laughs> uh, is going to have its own problems as well. Um, granted, we've had a bunch of issues with uh, computers, which we've kind of nailed down, but that's led to, unfortunately, some little extra surcharges until we get through this pandemic. But American Pinball wants to continue to give a great product, and we don't want to, we put temporary surcharges on, but we don't want to make them permanent. We keep evaluating if we can get things locked down and we can get these surcharges off. We want to continue to give you guys a great game for the price tag. Um, I mean, many of my competitors right now have raised their prices 
across boards, and some are talking about raising more. But uh, we try to keep that line for American Pinball, uh, where you know what you're getting, and uh, we want to give it to you. And are these uh, supply chain issues um, mostly affecting the release of the fourth title, or yeah. do they also impact on uh, on yeah. the, the previous three? No, you know, it's funny, is the uh, previous three have been doing very well. Um, let me just say, in the last six months, we've been uh, selling an awful lot. We have, um, uh, all three titles are on fire, as I would like to say. In fact, I was uh, sharing with Jonathan earlier today, we have literally two lines running with all three titles, like, running on each line. So, we are uh, fulfilling orders. There are containers being boxed up and get chipped out. I mean, you know, if you look back, um, I mean, the owners at American Kimball are, are, I mean, Bukesh and I, we look at it like um, December, we were like, Houdini and Oktoberfest were kind of like dead titles, and then, you know, Hot Wheels was doing okay. Now, Houdini and Oktoberfest are right where Hot Wheels was, and Hot Wheels is on fire. So, people are loving it, and uh, and the other thing is we're, we continue to re-release uh, Houdini and Oktoberfest uh, with some upgrades. So the game's not over with. You know, there's there's some surprises coming, and we're kind of excited about that. In fact, um, I'm going to just do a little promo here, if you guys don't mind. This coming Friday, Jack Danger is going to have a special show from American Pinball. Um, actually, it's going to be right at his studios, and we're going to make a an announcement on Jack Danger's Twitch, and it'll be awesome. Uh, I mean, we're kind of excited about that, and then we're going to do it again probably in a few weeks, and then again in a few weeks, and then again in a few weeks, and my goodness, that will be Title Four. So, you know, we're finally getting over that threshold with Title Four, and it's just been driving me crazy. So, I mean, what, what kind of announcement... Um can we expect on, on Friday, did you say, this week? Is that, well, yeah, Thursday, but will be Friday in the UK because Jack. Right, Thursday night. Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Night. I mean, I mean uh, this isn't to do with Game 4s. Nope. Um, no. Okay. So this is related to, to the, your current, current, <laughs> current product. I suspected yeah. this could be, and I'm just speculating here, so because Dave didn't tell me earlier on, uh, I suspect we might see a code update with some new features. You'll have to tune in, Jonathan. <laughs> You'll have to tune in. Oh. But um, here's the thing. We, we continue to perfect our titles. We continue to work on our titles. And we continue to work on the, the new one, uh, uh, 4. So we keep you know looking at it both ways as, as what the collector wants and what the operator wants. Um, and we, we're kind of excited with what's coming out the pike right now. And there's there's some secrets that will be announced later in one of our titles that most people don't even know about. So that's going to be exciting too. Hmm. Okay, and, and you'll be you'll be demonstrating these things in in the uh -huh. uh, in Jack Danger's streams. Yep. yep. Right. Actually, the, the the one is kind of hidden in one of our games that um, I I was flabbergasted. I didn't know existed. I think five or six other people didn't know existed. I mean, half of management at American Pinball did not know that this was developed in one of our games and is actually shut off. 
nobody knows about it. So it's in there. So um, we're going to talk about that Easter egg. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of pretty neat. I, I, I actually kind of put it back to almost like, you know, the black light um, and the uh, UV stuff that was done on um, um, on all the play fields for Stranger Things. I mm-hmm. mean, that was on there. Most people didn't even know it was there until they revealed it, you know. And yeah. then all of a sudden it was like this blow away. Well, there's one of our games is out there that had a secret from day one. And... I'm going to say a lot of people don't know it, it's in there. So oh. we'll talk about that a little bit more later yeah. on. Okay. Very good tease. Yes. Always, right. uh, always fun to find Easter eggs in games. Yes. And, and it's just kind of neat that that's out there. Um, we also have been working very hard because we've having a ton of European orders and a, a ton of other information. And I think I told Jonathan this a little earlier today that uh, we're proud that very shortly we will have our manuals in German, French, Italian, and Spanish. So the the four big languages, uh, there's probably a couple more languages we're probably going to look at doing, and we probably will do those. But for now, uh, to support a lot of these games in other countries, we wanted to make sure that they had a manual that's from beginning to end in their language. Is, is this a physical manual or a, a PDF? Or it, it'll manual? be a PDF, mm-hmm. but you can print it right out. Oh, obviously, yeah. And, and yeah. do it. Um, we're even thinking about at some point we, we may, for operators, um, because that's one thing we've been really, really focusing on in, in our yes. foreign markets was to get the coin-op guys. And for that, we will probably print out those orders of physical you know, manual in that language for those operators so that they get the, you know, they'll get it from the U.S. and they're going to be like, wait a minute, this is, this is, this is for me? You know, that kind of thing. It's, it's just a touch. We've done so much already with the new web page of American Pinball and the um, support aspect of all the quick videos that we now have online. Uh, we have a plethora, an absolute uh, library of videos that, show you quick tutorials and quick ways of repairing commonly mistake problems, not even just on our games, but on all games, you know, things that, you know, have been hindering pinball players for a long, long time. Um, or even just the newbies. Um, some of the newbies who just, you know, we welcome them to the club and, or, you know, help them to understand what they bought. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we kind of refer it to some of these uh, high-end cars that you buy. Sometimes come with a video to show you how to work all the gadgets in the car. Well, we kind of have videos to show you how to work all the gadgets on your six thousand dollar or seven thousand dollar pinball machine. Okay, cool. So, um, well, you mentioned game four. Mm. Uh, obviously, you're not going to tell us what it is. No, I'm not. Um, can you do a, a prediction when you expect it will be announced? Probably sometime end of September or middle of October. Somewhere in the, it will probably be announced before uh, Expo. And uh, the reason I'm going to do it before Expo is because we're probably going to have, uh, we're working on having an open house at American Pinball to welcome people in on uh, Wednesday, the day before Expo, for just an open house to see American Pinball, see what's going on there. Um, I think it's kind of cool that people can come in and see uh, our facilities. 
and uh, we will probably have the current title on the line at that time. And uh, we might even set it up that if you want to buy Title Four, you could probably put it in the truck that day. So we're we're working on that very hard uh, to get that out the door for people to see. Oh, so we don't get the title, but I think this is kind of a scoop in uh, in its own sense. Yes, it is a scoop in its own sense because you know we've been working very hard to get this, and trust me, we're going to make uh, I call it a media splash. When Title Four is released, there will be a media splash. It, in fact, I think most people are going to be sick and tired of hearing about Title Four. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, hey, it, it's the way to get the announcement out. Um, and I and and what we have been planned is is something that uses some of the history uh, of releases from Williams and Bally back in the '90s, stuff that I was uh, privy to. And uh, some people in the industry haven't seen it in a long time. So I think this is going to be awesome when this does get released. Okay. I just hope that the quality is getting better. If I if it is what I think that it is, then... Uh, Jonathan, you, you know me. I, I know I, you. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely am. A, first of all, remember, everybody, everybody should know this, that I was a collector first. Then I became an operator. Then I started working in show, uh, doing shows. Had my own show, and then working at Expo. Uh, guy who has over a hundred machines, and uh, you know, you take you take a game and you definitely move it around and, and you work on it, and uh, you're going to make it into that uh, piece that people are going to really really love, and will be blown away by. A lot a lot okay. of fun stuff coming out. So I, I'm kind of excited. I don't want to go into any more detail. That's a little too much, but. I think for everybody, they, they, they get the idea that, you know, hey, the, the American Pinball has done an awful lot of changing. Uh, I will tell you that uh, Game 5 is already well in development. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have shortly, we will probably after Game 4, we will make some small announcements of all the new members who are joined the team for Game 5. And uh, that will be in itself a little teaser. And uh, game six is very well long away, and so is game seven. Wow. And, uh, we've already been talking quite heavily on the licensing aspect because, you know, it takes a year for a game to have a license, you know. And, and it, you know, Dennis and I and the rest of the team, we didn't get in there until January and, you know, February, March. And then when we start working on a game, it takes a good period of time to get that game, you know, and get everything licensed secured so we're working hard um to make sure that we bring you a game that everybody loves and at a license that uh will not uh, make everybody go what were they thinking you know it, it's going to be good i think uh, i'm kind of excited about it so okay. well after your first two titles were not licensed mm-hmm. although uh, obviously houdini's a, a well-known brand already correct um, and I suppose uh, an Oktoberfest is is a known known uh, entity as well. But, but going from Hot Wheels, would you say that um, that licenses are the way forward now for American Pinball? No, uh, you know, and, and I'm going to get criticized by all the podcasters, and I know that um, there's there's a guy here in the U.S. who will scream to you, "License, license, license, license," mm. and he's the kind of guy that buys license, 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 license. 
But, you know, at the end of the day, there's this market that um, most collectors don't see. And uh, that is the, the giant driving force behind the pinball industry. Um, and Jonathan, you know what I'm talking about because we're talking about operations. Right. Uh, you're talking about, you know, I mean, everybody says, oh, you know, you know, spooky. And Charlie's a great guy. Don't get me wrong. I love Charlie. I love what he does and so forth. Um, Halloween, can't wait to play it. Can't wait to play uh, Ultraman, too. I'm kind of interested to see how that all works out. I'm really excited about it for him. Um, but 2,000 games is a really nice number. But trust me, it's not the number that kept Stern in business all those years. You know, uh, 2,000 games is like what one distributor in the U.S. will buy in a year. So think about that. That's, you know, and I mean, Jersey Jack will say, oh, we sold... 2,500 or 3,000 of uh, Guns N' Roses. Uh, again, that may be two distributors in the United States. We're not talking about Europe. We're not talking about Australia. We're not talking about South America. So there's this giant world that drives the market. And yes, licenses are great. And trust me, they are good. But they also have their demons. And what I want to share with you on that is, is that licensors... Uh, control a heavy market. They want so much in payments. Okay. And, uh, you know, when you're dealing with a licensor, you have to play by their rules. And if you don't like it, you kind of get yanked one way or other that you may not want to. Um, I think of, hey, you know, Steve Ritchie, I think is it was always a big Led Zeppelin fan. But think about it. Uh, he, he just got to do Led Zeppelin and now he's sitting in a different company. So what happened there? You know, and I, I know Steve has shared with some people that the handcuffs are off. So what's that mean? You know what I'm saying? There there has to be some blessings and curses when it comes to licenses. So right. granted, um, think about it, Houdini, Think about it. If we had a deal with a licensor, they might have said, well, we don't want you to do this trick because Houdini got killed in this trick. We don't want you to do this because Houdini's feelings weren't that way. We don't want you to do, you know, X, Y, and Z with uh, Houdini because that wasn't his style nor his um, comedy or, or his, you know, way he thought of life. Um, so it gives you a little bit more creative license to go out there and design games. Well, those are uh, the classic games as we remember them from the from the nineties, I would say, where the licenses were, uh, or the, the the designers were kind of uh, more free to 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 run with the license the way they felt it would be best for the game. Absolutely. Now it's more restricted because the licensor now wants to know everything. One of the big movies that came out this summer is a movie called Mortal Kombat. And that's based off of a non-license, right? It was a design concept by the Williams guys. Okay, they sat down and they came up with this whole unique premise of this game called Mortal Kombat. They came up with all the characters and everything. That wasn't like it was a story that was already there. It was developed in-house by Williams. Um, and you can do that with some of the most classic games that Williams has done. They basically 
um, develop their storyline, they develop their own humor, they develop all this stuff into this great game. I mean, you think about it, some of those classic games. Like, I mean, I know uh, my one competitor, uh, Ryan at the CGC, already announced that Cactus Canyon's coming out. And that was a Western. It has all the characters in it. It was developed by a whole team at Williams back in 99. It has a bunch of things in it. It's just, it's just a cool game. Right? You know, I'm, you know, yeah, I work for American Pinball. I, I may be the director of operations and I'm running the day-to-day operations of American Pinball, but it doesn't mean I'm not a pinball enthusiast or a pinball fan. I mean, I've played every game, including the new Guns N' Roses. You know, and I, I have my favorites. In fact, I played when I was in Chicago. I met up with Eric Minier. He was up at uh, 257 at the mm-hmm. uh, league night. And I got to talk to him for a few minutes, ask him how the kids are, how the family's doing. And uh, I told him what I thought of his game. And I, and I said that, you know, it's a very pretty game. It's got a nice flow, you know, to a point. But it's, it's a, an, an interesting game. I, I mean, I have my little, you know, questions on it. But for the most part, there's a game for everybody, you know. So, I'm, you know, at first point, when people say, oh, he's just all-American, or, you know, the, the famous line from Gary Stern is, oh, I love Mandalorian, because it's on the line, right? Mm-hmm. I have a lot of favorites uh, of games, and uh, I'm very candid about, you know, liking a lot of games. Well, obviously, well, you're, you're, you were passionate about pinball before, and that, that doesn't stop if you becoming a chief Absolutely. operations manager uh, of a certain company. Correct. Right. So, um, now speaking of uh, uh, American pinball games, so you just mentioned that you basically have four games currently in development. Mm-hmm. Um, Dennis Nordman is on board, as we know, as a um, uh, sort of overseeing designer, but I believe he's also working on his own ca- uh, game. Yes. Uh, which of those four games is Dennis Nordman's game? Game number five will be Dennis. Game number six we will talk about later because that may jump. Game number seven is definitely Dennis's. Uh, game number... Uh, there's another game in the middle there that may jump in ahead of there, uh, depending. That may be known as Junior Designer. And then uh, the Junior Designer has already started talking to us about his next game, the one who's doing game four. So we're kind of excited. It's, it's a good time. And you know what? There's a lot of, you know, I'm just not going to say that there's, yeah, there's a lot of things happening in the industry right now. So just keep watching. Um, it's going to be interesting. I, oh, I wow. Our podcast is keeping, uh, is getting longer and longer every month. <laughs> so there is a lot happening. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is I good. mean, with, the, with that, um, that uh, series of, of upcoming titles, in the current situation where, you know, there are shortages of uh, certain parts and chips and uh, and so forth would you be able to increase your the, the the speed at which you bring out new titles or is it going to still is that going to hold things back into the um, into the immediate future so let's talk about that so you know i came from ice uh, i'm not a i'm not opposed to telling everybody that story and so forth but at ice we had many avenues to receive parts okay um and american pinball there was one avenue now we are definitely going out and getting multiple avenues for parts 
So instead of having just one main guy that we get all our metal ramps from, uh, mm. now I have an American guy I get my metal ramps from, and I have a guy overseas to get my metal ramps from. And I got parts coming in from this country, and I got parts coming in from that country. I also have an American part, too. So, and we base it on the quality. Listen, um, Zofia uh, Ryan, I, I can't say enough about this woman. She is an amazing mechanical engineer, but she takes no guff, okay? She will look at a part and say, this is, you know, this is dung. This is garbage, okay, and or absolute rubbish, as you would say, and reject <laughs> the part, okay, and then she will send it back, and she'll she'll get on the phone, and she will or send an email, and she will definitely light the person up and say, you know, this, this does not meet our standard, okay, and you know, Martin, me and you have talked about the American pinball standards. They've always been a very good game, and there has to be a towing of the line to keep those standards up. So, Sophia. As the mechanical engineers, is tying that lineup. Uh, Josh is doing that with software. Dennis is doing it with design. Um, my team that are building games, uh, they've gotten a lot better, and they look at parts, and we reject it. I have a guy there who will, uh, literally, we got um, five play fields in, and he went through all five play fields, uh, or out of those batch of 100 play fields, he found five. And I asked him, where's the problem? And I couldn't find it. But his standards are so high because we know that our customers have come to love those. So keeping those standards is absolute key, but also having development of a system where we can bring parts in from all over keeps us running. You know, Whereas when we first started or uh, we only had one source, you know, and it was like trying to full teeth to get the parts in on time and, and stuff coming over. So it's it just works for us to now have uh, more avenues to bring our parts in to give this great game. Yeah, that makes sense to, uh, to be able to multi-source parts. And, and that, that's really the, um, the kind of the, the crux of uh, you know, if, if you've got one distributor who's sending you parts and he's got it bad, you're waiting for three weeks for them to send you another set. And then that could take, to, if it's bad again, then you're doing this. Meanwhile, when you now have established three or four sources, you're getting samples from everybody, and you, you have your standard. You, you're like, okay, we're going to go with this guy. And if he fails, guess what? There's two guys right there ready to help out and jump in at the business. Okay? And uh, it creates that competitiveness, but it yes. also keeps the, the product rolling. And that's what we've been striving to get on there for the Houdinis, the Oktoberfest, and the Hot Wheels. And now we're just like, we're cranking at it. We're, we're just, you know, we're getting those levels going. And people are finding these games, too. That's another thing. A lot more promotional stuff on Houdini and Oktoberfest and Hot Wheels. And people are just now discovering these games. I mean, it, it blows my mind when somebody says, you know, I've never seen this game Houdini. It's absolutely cool. I mean, the game's been out for five years. It's like, really? We're, you know, and he and he just bought one. He's just loving it because he just bought a new Houdini. And, uh, you know, some people will say, um, Dave, the market is saturated with Houdini. Really? I mean, you go on Pinside or Mr. Pinball and see how many American pinball games are up there for resale. 
Not a whole lot. In fact, it, I find it kind of funny. Uh, if they're up there, they're gone probably faster than anything. Uh, American pinball games are even on the Facebook uh, marketplace or anything like that. Unless it's new in the box, uh, those games, if they're selling for a little under the price, people are picking them up because they're a strong title. They're well built, and uh, I will tell. I, I want to give you guys an update because we had this conversation back in. I can't believe it's already May, mm -hmm. uh, end of May, beginning of June. Martin, my I never got one phone call, not one phone call on those playfields. Remember I said that? Yes. Yeah. And um, and it also led me to ask a question because you know me and you have had this discussion many times about playfields and. You know, we talked about it in the 90s that that was done and dusted and the play fields were clear-coated and diamond-coated and they were done and there was nothing wrong with them, right? Well, I've been looking into, you know, why these play fields have been having issues. And it was interesting. I had a nice long conversation with my play field manufacturer and I will tell you that uh, Jeff Bader is a great guy. And he kind of shared, you know, there's some secret in the sauce. But one of the key points that I want to point out to you, Martin, that, and this might be great for your listeners, is that the 90s play fields were silkscreen. Okay? So that's forcing the ink, a very aggressive ink, into the wood, and it saturated the wood and went in really deep. Okay? A lot of the new play fields we have are being ink jetted on, which is a very, very thin layer of ink that's going down on the play field. And it's usually all the colors at once. It's not the red screen, blue screen. Yes. You know, it's not these different colors. It's not the thickness. And it's not eating into the wood. So, you know, Jeff's got some techniques that he uses to help it eat into the wood and to really secure itself so that when we put the clear coat down, it's going down and it's locking it all in. It's not just covering a thin piece of paper that uh, can be damaged very easily once the clear coat starts breaking down. So that 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 I wanted to share with that and your listeners because you you know you and I have discussed that about how playfields in the '90s were you know done right. Indeed, and, and we, um, we discussed it on this podcast several times with uh, with yourself and with uh, other people in the industry as well. And uh, obviously, it's a bit of a touchy subject for for some companies. Yes, it is. Um, and and you know, I mean, it's just like. It's, it's continuing to develop uh, newer games, newer stuff. Now, I will tell you that one of the things that CPR, uh, my buddies up at Classic Playfield Re Reproductions, um, they have a giant machine up there, and they're still still screening the playfield. All right? So, you know, there's a reason that CPR playfields are really, really, really good, um, and people love them, is because they're still doing the old tried and true method of silk screening. Now, granted, it's a big machine to run and, and it's a lot of stuff and I, I give my hats off to Kevin up there at CPR for doing it but you know he's, he's still the, the guys that got the passion to make the play fields and make the back classes and plastic sets and here and now I, I sound like I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm being a, spot, a sponsored podcast for uh, CPR <laughs> but I'm, I'm not but I, I love those guys up here in Halifax and trust me they're doing a great job They, they it's a love of you know Mike Purcell and Kevin, hats off to you guys. Keep doing the good work you're doing. And, of course, but, you have to uh, make the screens, which is probably the the, the hardest of, of all the things. Absolutely. If you're going to use uh, silk screen printing. Yes, that's, sure. a, that's, a, that's a very uh, niche uh, skill, I think, these days, with the, all the move over to digital printing. 
Absolutely. And and listen, I was on the, you know, I, I, I try not to say I was on the forefront, but I, I remember looking at digital printing. I think I shared with you back in the early 2000s, Martin, when I was up in Halifax and I was with uh, John Greatwich yeah. and we were doing silkscreen. He was doing uh, printing on uh, playfields, you know, yeah. and we did a, a backlash, a Paragon backlash. Uh, we did a test print on that. So, and that video is still floating around there that we ran that glass through a big giant uh, printer back in the 2000s. So it's just kind of funny where we are in an industry that that's now kind of like that's what's being done, you know. So it's kind of, it, I find it very interesting. I love being in this industry. It's, it's been fun. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's not over yet, of course. There's still no, 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 plenty more to, to do. And... Um, and of course, things move on. And one of those things that does move on is uh, is Pinball Expo. So maybe we should uh, we should have a look at that because that's moving Absolutely. to a or has moved to a new location in in Schomburg for this this October's show. And uh, of course, Rob Burke is uh, in charge of that show, and and you are heavily involved in in organising it as well. So anything I think that's that you what can we presume, <laughs> you can combine it. You're absolutely right. I'm still heavily, you know, my wife thinks I'm nuts because either I'm on a podcast with you guys on the phone with or in a meeting with Rob Burke and Expo or I'm doing work for American Pinball, you know. Mm. So there's uh, there's a little vacation coming up for me shortly and I'm kind of in enjoying that. So a little time to get off. But I will right. tell you, I was at Expo. We were at the hotel and I'm going to tell you, um, I walked in the hotel and I immediately looked at Rob and went, "Okay, you went out and got the Taj Mahal." <laughs> yeah, can I, we afford this? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm picturing. I'm like, you, you know that we have people that come from all around the world that you know. I mean, this this is not a, a, a hotel that's faint of heart. Now, listen, that they, they they are an amazing hotel. Uh, we spent an entire day. I flew over. Chicago for a week, which I, I do, and I, I was at uh, American Pinball on Monday and Tuesday. I went and picked up Rob when they flew in, and we went over to the hotel, and we spent the rest of the day at the hotel, and then I went back to work, and I'm telling you, I walked through the hotel, and I'm impressed. I was like, wow. You know, it, it, it's something when you go from, you know, the original venue, right? So mm-hmm. you're, you're at the old Westin. And you're, you're thinking to yourself, this is this is a ton of room, right? And if, and when it's all said and done, it's thirty thousand square feet, maybe thirty five thousand square feet. Now I'm walking through the venue and it's sixty thousand square feet, and it's kind of intimidating. I will tell you, it is very intimidating. And to sit there and to design up the floor plan, and to work with people uh, like Stern and Jersey Jack and Chicago Gaming and my own company at that time because uh, we're all friends still. We know each other. Um, and I give them what they want and uh, they get, you know, and I get American Pinball what they want. I mean, it's all equal billing, man. Um, it's all for the love of the game. And uh, I'm just amazed the the size and all the, you know, I, I kind of shared this earlier in a podcast, or not a podcast, with a phone call earlier this uh, week when somebody asked me how Expo is going. It's like, this is the end of August, and I'm laying out the floor plan. And the reason I'm laying out the floor plan at the end of August 
is because we already have so many vendors and so much already secured. Okay. When I looked at years previously, I was always doing the layout sometime mid-September, end of September for all mm. that because that's when all the vendors were getting their forms in. New web page, new everything. Uh, people are submitting their stuff like records uh, in numbers. We, we have vendors that are just like coming out of the woodwork to fill the hall, which I'm absolutely, you know, and it, it scares me a little bit because we're like, okay, I'm ahead here, but I'm behind over there, but we're working together and we're trying to get this all together. And it's just, it's going to be a phenomenal show. And then Rob comes to me like at the beginning of last week and says, okay, kid, you ready? Here we go. Davey, get ready. Here it is. And he hands me this list. And Martin, he's got every, every, everything filled on the uh, seminar room. I mean, everything. There's there's not even a lunch break. Oh, Uh, Oh, that's great. I, I feel sorry for you. In fact, I said to them, I says, okay, there are certain people that we're going to have to arrange for food to go up to the room because they're never going to escape. Okay. Mm. And, and Martin, we're going to take care of you. Um, there are other people. I'll make sure that my boys get some food up to you. And because I know it's going to be like, you're going to pull your hair out. Now, granted, we've had some hiccups. And Jonathan and I talked about this today that, you know, some of the European uh, vendors might not be coming, okay, mm. because there's still the Delta variant, there's still some lockdown, there's still some people not getting out. So it's going to be a little tricky. However, I have a feeling that a lot of people will be looking at Pinball News uh, uh, during the expo to get the updates, to see the videos, to see all the special announcements that are going to be made. Oh, and fingers crossed, yes. Yes, you know, I, I see, you know, Martin going to be a busy person, and uh, he's going to love it. But, you know, I, I mean, it's just, I'm I just looking at this show, and I'm, I keep thinking to myself, got a lot of work to do. We've been having tons of meetings about everything. We're getting things arranged and, and done. Uh, we're ahead of schedule, and we're just, you know, we're trying to stay ahead of it because it's, you know, it's going to be a huge show. I, I'm, yeah, I'm um, I mean, you, you were you were picking up the uh, the hotel or the convention center. It's, it's the Renaissance in yes. in Schomburg. Um but that yes. that that is all sold out as yep, for rooms. Yep. Uh, but there there are adjoining hotels. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And one of them is already sold out as well. Oh right. Okay. And then the other, I think Rob's working on a fourth hotel now because the, the you know it's kind of like we had two and three. One's filled. Then now uh, that so now we need three and then four so that we have them. Nice thing is that a lot of these hotels have a trolley that in between them, yeah. so they'll bringing people to the expo. Um, it's it it's like I said, it's it's going to be huge. It's going to be big, and I I'm I'm more nervous that um, you know, city of Chicago or or, or uh, Cook County comes in and says, okay, we're shutting down the show because. Delta variants and all this other stuff, so it yeah. kind of makes me nervous. However, right now we're green light, and the the, the city and the, the the people of the health department are saying, in, if worst case scenarios, you may have to all wear masks in the in the thing. If is, not, is, isn't that the current situation in, in Cook County that you do have to wear a mask in in, in indoors in a 
in a not, situation like that? Not really, no. No? Okay. No. Um, actually, you know, it depends on the area and the location. Um, some some companies have mandated, you know, you have to wear a mask um, to be in the in their facilities, um, especially because there are some people who are vaccinated and not vaccinated. Hey, it's, it's, unfortunately, it's become more political than it should be, but, yeah. you know, it's whatever their decision is, just like masks are, you know, they, you know, I, whatever, you know, it's your choice, that kind of thing. Um, I laugh because uh, somebody, a friend of mine, shared a, a, a cute little video, and he says, could you imagine uh, a guy laying on the operating table and the doctor walks in and he's not wearing a mask and the patient looks up and says, doc, what, what gives? And he says, don't worry, I'm fully vaccinated. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, where is that going? So, you know, it's just, it's just one of those uh, things that, you know, whatever you're comfortable with, we want to have a show. We want to have a pinball show. We want to have, we're rolling out the red carpet to Stern. Stern is already kicking it into high gear. Uh, JJP kicking it into high gear. So is American. Uh, Chicago Gaming, they're doing their best. So, I mean, everybody's just, you know, stepping up to the plate. So, you know, there's a reason Expo has been around for uh, 37 years now. Yeah, so, something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and last year was the... Um, the virtual show, which broke all kinds of numbers, and people loved it, and and Rob and I had a great time, and I'm going to tell you uh, that show was really special because uh, we had a guy by the name of Jeff Euler. Uh, Jeffrey was the man behind the scenes, putting so much together, and it was more than just two guys standing in front of a camera. There was many people behind the scenes, and Jeff was one of those uh, guys to make sure that things were taken care of. Um, so hats off to him, and uh, he will be there at Expo this year too, uh, supporting us as, as he always does. And uh, we we always keep things in the background in case we need to do things. So I'm really excited for this year's Expo. I think it's going to be just I, I just can't say enough about. Mm -hmm. So um, now you mentioned last year's Expo, which is uh, or was a, a virtual Expo. Um, you also mentioned that uh, the current plan is that Martin will be. Uh, uh, sharing uh, videos from from Expo on his uh, Pinball News uh, website and so on um, that worked great in in previous years. Um, but what if, God forbid, uh, Martin uh, and I and other Europeans aren't able to travel into the U.S. due to the restrictions uh, that are currently applied? Uh, is there a plan B that we still can follow? Uh, Pinball Expo virtually. Yeah, um, yeah, and and that's where Jeff Oiler comes in. So we're still looking at many options, um, and and you know I really want you know Pinball Magazine. I want Pinball News there. Hey, I, I even want Jim Shelber with Pin Game Journal. You know I want him there. I want I want that famous guy that's on your show every once in a while and you let him in, Gary Flower. <laughs> you know, um, oh, it's kind yeah. of funny. I would love to, you know, to have him there. You know, there, there's so many people that I, I talk to, and this pinball community is, is made up of a lot of friends and people that have put their blood, sweat, tears on over the years. And you know, so here's my schedule, uh, Martin. As I'm going to be in Chicago for Expo, of course. Then I'm staying in Chicago because I got to be at Midwest Gaming Classic. Yeah. And then I'm coming back to New York 
for about three days. Then I get on a plane to go to Orlando for IAPA. Yeah. And then just at the very end of IAPA, I got to get on a plane to fly to uh, Massachusetts or yeah. Connecticut. I don't know where it is, but uh, Pentastic's going on. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Marston wants me there. So then I'm going to, I mean, that's the weekend after IAPA. So I'm going to be like, I'm going to be coming in like, I can't speak. And then the next weekend we have Thanksgiving. And it's just like, it's just crazy uh, how quick all that's going to be like, you know, the month of November is going to be like that and it's going to be gone. Lucky you. Yeah, I don't think you're garnering an awful lot of sympathy here, David, but uh, um, quite a lot of jealousy of being able to not only go to all these events, but uh, be paid to go to them as well, which is even better. (laughs) Okay, all right. Guilty. Um, I'm kind of excited, but also then, but, you know, it's like, you know, you know what it is like after you do Expo, you know, and you're walking a show and then doing five shows. It might be my best weight loss plan I ever did. (laughs) You know, I mean, granted, well, it depends both. where you go out to eat. Yeah, well, that's true. Every time I go to Chicago, they keep taking me to new restaurants. It's just unbelievable food. And I'm like, I, I'm finding all these great places. And I'm just like, I, I come back from Chicago and I, I swear that the uh, airplane or uh, the, 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 the airplane is going to be charging more because I've put on weight while I was there. Sorry, sir. Yeah. We now have to charge you for two. <laughs> yeah, those, those seats keep getting narrower, don't they? Yeah. It's a problem. Uh, well, anyway, uh, thank you very much for, for talking about that uh, and, and all about around Expo. The uh, 37th Pinball Expo uh, yes, is held, as I say, at the Renaissance Schomburg Convention yes. Center and Hotel, October 27th to the 30th. Yes, and uh, and yes. we we all and one, one little thing I want to, to it. and one little thing I want to point out, as always, Pinball Expo is going to be supporting the homebrew. And Ed Owens is putting together the whole homebrews, and we definitely want to have a big homebrew presence. Um, and uh, Marcos wants to do something special with the homebrews, and we're going to, you know, the future sometimes I think is, you know, in the homebrews to a point, you know. Yeah. Um, well, so you're, that's you're one thing I to, that. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up because, you know, the homebrew guys are, you know, they're the young guys. They're the young people in the industry. I mean, they're the. Uh, I mean, look at look at the, some of those homebrews. Um, well, thank thank you for that for that bridge. Uh, obviously, you're working for America now. Um, you mentioned you're working with, uh, I believe, two junior designers right now. Um, with all these homebrews coming in, are you looking for another junior designer maybe to join American Pinball? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. That's all I have to say. Um, uh, you know, the homebrews are the young guys are the are, are the young people in the industry. Listen, uh, I like Steve Ritchie. Steve Ritchie and I are buddies. Pat Lawler, I know very well. There's a lot of guys in the industry, uh, but you and I all know the age of those young gentlemen are is is not getting any younger. Uh, we need um, the young, young blood. We need the young blood, and I will say that you know Dennis is enjoying working with some of the young blood, and uh, we're continuing to build within the community here because you know, hey, 
listen, Zofia Ryan is, you know, she's an amazing mechanical engineer, but she's also, we have some young mechanical engineers underneath her that are getting trained so they learn the best way to build the mechanisms and create the toys that are going to be in the future, you know, and uh, we're embracing that and we're definitely embracing to be the longevity and have the, the team that has that, you know, even we're looking, we're, we're looking at young software guys too, you know, it's not like, not like we're, we're just sticking with, you know, uh, we're, we definitely are continuing to grow and to build from within and give new fresh blood to the industry. And uh, okay. that, that's one of my, my pet peeves uh, at American Pinball is that, hey, guys, let's keep thinking out of the box. Sophia, you're going to hate me. And uh, we have a young guy by the name of Rajesh, very talented mechanical engineer. Uh, he basically, I, I show him something and I said, let's do this. And usually within about an hour or two, he has something hobbled together. We show it to Zofia, she goes, okay, you guys are, you know, juniors at this, and do this, do that, and before you know it, this thing is just coming together like magic, like butter. Um, so, and the young game designers are working with Zofia also, and they're like, you know what? Zofia's right. She's She's got it. She's she's always correct. There's Very rarely do you ever hear anybody in the company ever say, Zofia got it wrong. Um, and she she really thinks about things, and she's got a passion. You know, she worked under Kordak and, and the rest of the team there at Williams and WMS, and she wants to share that information. Same thing as Dennis with these young guys. And you know, I only see growth. I, I don't see problems for American. I see it just growing and continuing to grow. I think it's going to be awesome. Okay, well, we look forward to seeing um, the fruits of um, all this labor, so to speak. Can't wait. Can't wait. You know, it's, it's funny. It's like, I, I think I do these podcasts. I mean, I've been on a couple podcasts in the last, you know, six, eight months, and I'm thinking, great, I'm going to listen back to these things and go, wow, what an idiot you were. Or, Why did you say <laughs> that? Or, you know, what were you thinking? And then I'm thinking, no, you're passionate about it. This is what you, your goals, this is what you the direction you want American to go in. And I'm going to tell you, the management of American are fully behind me in the decisions and they are excited. And we really turned the company around uh, 180 uh, to the point that our numbers are just ridiculous on Houdini, Oktoberfest and Hot Wheels right now. And they're going to continue that way. So we're excited. Okay, well, very happy uh, to hear that. Oh, so. and by the way, like I said, game's not over. So I keep challenging the team if there's a way to make Oktoberfest or Houdini or Hot Wheels better, let's keep looking at it. So who knows what's going to come out of that? So we right. keep challenging the team for that stuff, too. So it's going to be fun. Okay. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for taking you. off uh, the time of your free evening, I suppose it was, uh, to join us on our podcast and talk about work. Um, <laughs> okay. But uh, we appreciate it very much. I appreciate you guys and the passion that you guys bring, the journalistic integrity that you bring towards your podcast, um, and that you, you, you are very, you know, you're there, guys. You, you, you definitely, you know, Martin, all those years with the BBC, you know, you can tell he's got that, you know, 
feels like he's right there on the front lines taking care of the news. And same thing with you, Jonathan, with all the magazines that you put together and the, and the good stuff that you guys have done over the years, especially with your podcast. There's reason there's a lot of people that listen to you guys. Very good well, thank you again, David. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you very soon about, uh, about the release of uh, the fourth title. Got it. Sounds great. Yeah, thanks very much, David. That's uh, that was that was excellent. Um, so some some very interesting points there from from, uh, from that interview in particular. I, I would highlight that um, they've got uh, games five, six, and seven in development as well, which right. uh, they haven't even announced four yet. But uh, and that five and seven are both going to be Dennis Norman designs. So Dennis is, be, is busy now. He's uh, he's got his, uh, his feet under the desk there. And uh, four and six will be from the uh, the, the more junior designers. Yeah, Wait. so uh, uh, plural that is. Mm. So it's not just one, but uh, the way I understood it, it's at least two. Yeah. And um, well, who knows what announcements uh, will be made um, after uh, game four has been announced in terms of uh, personnel jo- uh, joining uh, American people. Yeah, so there's, there's a whole series of announcements obviously coming up. Um, number four, um, who else is working on, um, apart from the designer of that game? And um, and we've got, of course, uh, Jack Danger's Dead Flip stream starting, yeah. uh, I think, this this, this Thursday. Yes, so that's, this Thursday. Wow. Well, yes. So that's soon. Um, my guess there is it's, it's probably going to be new code for uh, the existing three titles, Houdini, Octoberfest, and, and Hot Wheels. Yeah, and with but, Jack uh, demonstrating it. Yeah, and I, uh, I'm expecting Jack to demonstrate one game at a time, so that makes it already three um, uh, three different uh, shows, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, yeah. So and uh, every two meantime, weeks. They, they might have new code developed for uh, an older title, so they might keep coming back. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they'll be bringing uh, out any, any code for uh, for Magic Girl though. But um, no, no, no. But but let's say they uh, this Thursday they show Houdini, and uh, uh, two weeks later they show Oktoberfest, and then Hot Wheels, and after that they could go back to Houdini for which new code has or newer code has been written in the meantime. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, good to see that that those three titles uh, are still selling well, and uh, Hot Wheels especially is uh, is on fire, as as David said. So, So, okay. Well, uh, thanks, Dave Fix, for coming on the show, and also very interesting to hear uh, all the plans for for Pinball Expo. Hopefully you and I will be able to go there, although I have to admit I'm not counting on it. Yeah, I think it's... 50-50 50-50 at best, um, as it has been for several months. Um, so uh, we'll just have to wait and see, because so much changes so quickly. Uh, but un- unless America actually allows um, either your um, UK or EU visitors in, then we're not going. So that's the big one that we need. And also they need to recognise uh, whatever vaccinations we may have had as being valid and allowable. So. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot, lot needs to fall in place, um, and hopefully it will. But uh, as I say, 50-50 is my best shot at the moment. Uh, so I'm only booking things which can be cancelled, so I'm not doing anything that's non-refundable. 
Right. Okay. So, well, um, so there's a couple of companies uh, that we haven't discussed yet. Um, I suppose there's, well, I, I tend to say there's not that much news, so we, uh, I expect we can go through them quickly, but uh, who am yeah. I kidding? Yeah, we always manage to find something to, <laughs> to whittle on about. Right. Okay. So, Jersey Jack Pinball. Yes, um, new version of code for Willy Wonka, which is uh, which is very interesting. There's uh, this um, Joe Shobo um, has has rewritten the basically the, the entire game, but to make it easier to reach the wizard mode. Obviously, they were getting feedback that the, the ultimate wizard mode is in that game is is almost unachievable, and um, and it, maybe it wasn't that much fun to keep trying. So uh, there's a new version of it, version two point zero. As okay. is the uh, the general uh, numbering system for uh, completely different versions. So as in Bright Open Bot 2.0, we now have um, Willy Wonka 2.0 well, as well. There's a Willy Wonka two blocks away from me on location, so hopefully they will install that code so I can uh, give that game a try. Fantastic. We look forward to getting your feedback on that. And um, there's also new code for Guns N' Roses, which is not entirely unexpected as it's the current title on the, on the line and they... Pictures from the factory have been put on the uh, Jersey Jack Pinball social media feeds, and uh, it's a it's a heartening uh, view, really, of, of the production line, seeing rows and rows of uh, Guns and Roses machines in uh, being built on the on the production lines. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, new version of Code 1.23 was uh, on the 25th of August, which. Um, Supports the the topper, which is a kind of surprising omission, I'd have thought. But um, that previously the topper wasn't fully supported in the software, and now it is. And it has a, a new uh, desert demolition album mode, as well as adding in a few bug bug fixes, as these things always do. Right. So um, um, yeah, then the uh, the Jersey Jack podcast uh, made a uh, reappearance. I would say it's not a very um, frequent. Podcast it's an occasional one, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, occasional one, uh, which has uh, interviews with uh, Steve Ritchie, who, uh, as we uh, discussed last month, uh, switched uh, companies and joined Jersey Jack Pinball. Um, and there's also an interview with uh, Joe Schober about the uh, uh, updated Willy Wonka software that we just discussed. So uh, that's uh, that's definitely worth checking out. Now, those of you who are regular listeners, well, first of all, thank you, and uh, and secondly, uh, we're, we're sorry. Um, but also, we'd like to um, address that last last uh, pincast. We did say that we were hoping to, get, well, we were planning, in fact, to get an interview with Steve Ritchie about his move from Stern Pinball to Jersey yes. Jack and what he was planning to do there, and and the reasons for his leaving and uh, his take on on the pinball industry as it is at the moment, because uh, yeah. he's been in it long enough to, to have a good experience and, and see a lot of changes. Right, and the reason to, to um, sort of announce that interview is that, uh, first of all, Steve had, uh, reached out to uh, me personally, indicating that he wanted to come on our podcast, and second, because uh, uh, Jack Guarnieri promised us that we would get that interview once the Jersey Jack podcast had interviewed Steve Ritchie. So... Uh, that was reason enough for us to announce that um, uh, interview. Unfortunately, that interview hasn't happened yet. I'm probably to blame uh, for that. Sorry about that. Um, 
Well, there are various reasons why that hasn't happened, but uh, we are still hopeful to get Steve on, and uh, so we can we can talk about so many things. And, uh, and at least now he's had uh, a good time at Jersey Jack Pinball, and uh, probably started working on his uh, his next title for them. And uh, he'll be able to give us uh, you know, a very rounded view of uh, of that move, really, rather than uh, just. Uh, only having been there for a couple of days and saying how wonderful it all, all is and how warm his, his greeting there was, he'll be able to tell us what it's actually like working uh, the street over from where he was working before. Yeah, so uh, once we are able to interview Steve, of course, will be um, uh, available as soon as possible. Um, we hope to bring it soon, but there's, uh, at this point, no timeline. No, so, no it's, sorry it's, about it's that, beyond our control, still... I'm afraid. Yeah, okay, so... Anyway... Um, moving over to Haggis Pinball, all the way in Australia, um, I'd say not much news other than um, oh, delays and a video explaining the delays uh, and also a factory tour of the new facility. Yeah, I thought it was uh, a very extensive video. I thought it was going to be a quick look around. but it, it seemed Well, the factory tour took a lot of time. It did, so. yeah. Yes. Um, so it was it was good. Uh, that that was the uh, they hadn't had an, an update for a while, and uh, th- we haven't had one since either. But uh, that was it was good to see that they they obviously have been building up their their factory facilities there to, to actually build games, which is uh, something that people need to see these days for obvious reasons. And they uh, they seem to, uh, well uh, they certainly seem to know what they're doing there. It was good to see Damien uh, sort of walking around all the various areas you'd expect to see, you know, from the, from the playfield manufacturing, the assemblies, the, um, the, the wood shop, um, the, the spray booths and all that kind of stuff, uh, and the, uh, the cutting machines, all, all the things you would, you would need in a football factory. But, um, yeah, he, like everybody else, and we were just hearing this over and over, I'm afraid, that everyone's delayed, everyone's um, got uh, supply chain issues and price rises. Yeah. Right, well, and uh, I think you mentioned in the video that uh, they were going into their sixth lockdown um, at that mm. time. So, uh, yeah, that makes it uh, rather difficult, you know. Uh, obviously, uh, COVID is still something that uh, some parts of the world control uh, better than other parts, I would say. And I'm not saying anybody is doing it right or wrong, but uh, if you're in your sixth lockdown, then uh, something must be up, I'd say. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's a it's something we all hoped obviously would be uh, done and dusted by now, and we'd, we'd be out the other side. But uh, it just keeps rumbling on, and uh, that, that's another potential issue for us um, going to Expo. Because, uh, you know, that's assuming that they're actually allowed to hold Expo. If uh, if there's an, another outbreak of uh, of the, either the Delta variant or another variant in the uh, in the Cook County area, which is uh, where Expo is held, then um, maybe they won't be allowed to hold it. They might be mandated to uh, to not have any uh, inside conferences or events like that. So, anyway, fingers crossed, and we we move on. Yeah, so Pimble Brothers. Yeah. uh, Well, that's the company behind the Alien Pinball, um, former Highway Pinball title, and now uh, being produced uh, by Pedretti in uh, Italy. Uh, they have been uh, shipping games. I think the first games just arrived in Australia. Mm-hmm. 
and um, uh, they have been uh, announcing some details um, uh, to come up for the uh, or they will be announcing details for the limited edition um, or limited version as they call yes, it that's on right. uh, S- September 24th and that game is uh, supposed to go into production in the fourth quarter of this year um, it's interesting that uh, on the uh, the box of uh, in which uh, the game ships, um, there's uh, three boxes that can be ticked: mm-hmm. uh, SV for standard version, LV for uh, limited version, and then there's also a box that says XV. And mm, uh, extended well, version, maybe. Uh, we have, I have no idea what it is. Um, it's sort of uh, at least that up for uh, speculation, but uh, it could indicate that there could be a third model of uh, the game coming up. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, they also announced the price for the the uh, uh, limited version as well, which is um, which is higher than it was originally announced in December. At that time, they said the limited version would be nine 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 dollars, and the standard version would be seven 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 dollars. So that was easy to remember. But uh, now the the new price for for the uh, limited version is six hundred ninety six dollars higher at ten thousand six hundred ninety five, and there's also a price rise for the standard version of eight hundred eighteen dollars up to eight thousand eight hundred sorry eight thousand five hundred and ninety five dollars. So, uh, yes, the price rises there of uh, around about uh, seven or eight hundred pounds on those two models. Right. So, um, what I'm curious about, and this is slightly off topic, but since we're talking about these price increases, which obviously has to do with increased shipping prices and uh, shortages of parts mm. and so on, yeah. which is all related to COVID. Now, um, I'm, if I make a comparison, for example, to a, um, uh, a snack bar or snack corner where they sell French fries, um, I am used to see uh, occasionally that there has been um, uh, there have been problems with the um, um, uh, potato mm-hmm. uh, harvest. Uh, I think that's called and. Uh, as a result, uh, uh, the price of potatoes went up, so the price of French fries uh, at, at, at your uh, local snack car- corner is also going up. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it go down, even after, uh, <laughs> if, if, if the next harvest was, uh, was good, it never went down. Would that be the case here with shipping uh, expenses and so on as well? Because obviously we've heard uh, the, the price of a container to ship from, uh, uh, China to Europe or America has tenfolded. Yeah, is that going to be reduced again once containers are back in place and ships are uh, back to their old normal? I would say because um, companies might also figure like, well, they are used to paying it right now, so uh, we keep that price. Well, that's right. I think they need to look at the numbers and see whether they they had fewer sales when the price went up. Um, or whether um, the sales numbers remain the same, and, they're, and um, they're, they're not making any more profit at the moment. But if the the costs of fulfilling those orders goes down, then yeah, that'd be more profit for them. Yeah. Um, in due course, of course, the, there will be inflation. The inflation is, is really negative on the sort of parts that, that go into making pinballs, and 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 the price of shipping them around the world. 
So, um, in due course, even if they were making you know, more money now in, in a couple of years' time, that inflation means that that, that uh, extra profit would have been absorbed. It just means they wouldn't have to put the price up again later. Right. But it probably also indicates that the prices of second-hand pinballs will continue to, to increase because... Um, if people make the comparison like, hey, for that kind of money I can buy a new game, mm-hmm. in, a, uh, uh, in a couple of years, um, where your, your uh, theater of magic, for example, could now do, if you're lucky and have a beautiful one, uh, $6,000, yeah. for example, in two years' time, that might be 8000 because... You're not going to buy a new theater of magic anywhere else, and uh, if you want to buy a new game, that's probably also eight to ten thousand dollars. So, if you want to, uh, people tend to 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 pay more and more and more. Well, is it is there no limit to the the market for, for pinballs? And it seems like all these companies are, are pumping more more machines into the market. The, most of the existing ones. Are still there. They they don't get broken up, or they don't wear out, or they, or they do wear out. They can get refurbished. So the market must be growing continuously to to take all these extra machines. Right. So. Um, Which is great. I mean, but hopefully it means that there are more people getting into pinball, and not just that uh, people's collections are getting bigger. Because well, <laughs> probably both. Yeah, yeah, but it, no. If we're if. Uh, the industry is able to uh, expand the market base, then, uh, then that's that's great. Um, and you know, pinball is still hot, as we've seen. There's, it still gets plenty of uh, coverage in uh, in mainstream media, uh, which uh, kind of which is a nice bring, uh, bridge to uh, our next story, really, which is about um, spooky pinball. Because there's, there's there's not a massive amount of news from them, but there was an interesting article in that in mainstream newspaper about um, the artist on the Ultraman machine, that's uh, Matt Frank. And right. um, that was in a, a, a San, Antonio, San Antonio artist, it's, uh, it said. So San Antonio is getting a good few shout-outs um, in the pinball business, both good and not so good. This is definitely right. one of the good ones. Um, I could read you the link to the article, uh, but a lot easier if you just uh, go to Google or your favourite search engine. And just type in Ultraman Matt M A T T Frank F R A N K, and uh, it's probably going to be the top search uh, result or uh, top result from that search. Uh, it's Express News, anyway. Is the uh, is the paper or the the news feed? And uh, it's an interesting article on on his his work and uh, the work he's doing for Spooky on the Ultraman game. Okay, so, and uh, if this was all too much for you to uh, uh, remember, um, I will be providing the link in the Pimble Magazine newsletter as well, so make sure that you're subscribed to that, and that will save you searching on Google uh, yeah. to find the article. Yeah, good plan, yeah. Okay, so, let's, let's head um, over to your side of the, uh, of, of the pond, and, uh, and also your part of Europe. As we uh, we see what's been going on uh, with uh, Barry at uh, Dutch Pimble, right? Well, I happen to be talking to Barry uh, uh, earlier this morning. Um, there's a couple of his um, uh, employees currently um, on vacation, uh, school holidays, and so on are in this period, so that's not very strange. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are uh, soon 
uh, expected back at work, uh, which means that he um, he can ramp up the the production of the Big Lebowski further. In the meantime, um, they uh, Dutch Pimble did reveal a new uh, code update, uh, version uh, 0.56. Uh, with a couple of tweaks, some changes uh, to the test menus, and uh, quite a few bug fixes. I haven't uh, played the game with the new code yet, but I look forward to uh, to playing it soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's also interesting that they've got some, some new people joining. Well, that's always good news, I suppose. Yeah, yes. Um, apparently there's, there's a new sound engineer and, um, and, and video animator. As well, yeah. who are going to be working on the the Big Lebowski code, and with the the intention to bring it to version one point zero, which is you know the f- fully featured version, uh, as soon as they possibly can. And uh, one of the key things that, that's currently missing is is the wizard mode called the the Do Divides, and that's um, that's a, a priority for, uh, for Dutch Pimble to get that uh, get that code completed, so they can start working on uh, on future titles. Right. Okay. Uh, well, that's about it for uh, for Dutch Pinball. Um, of course, I did talk to, with Barry. We discussed many things off the record, so I can't repeat them here. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. So. Well, uh, one place we're not going to get any uh, any news is from uh, Pinball Adventures. And uh, no news from them. Their website uh, at pinballbuzz.com is uh, still offline or still down. Uh, so it's being re- redone. And uh, as it has for several months, uh, the, uh, the Pinball Adventures and Pinball Buzz is the uh, publishing arm of it, which is where the, where the website was hosted. Uh, the other, uh, well, and other business of uh, Andrew, who, who runs um, all these these operations, is called Pigeon Patrol in uh, Vancouver, I think it is. Pigeon Patrol, pigeonpatrol.ca. That's still online and, uh, and still being updated. There was a new blog item just yesterday. So not all these websites have vanished, but um, unfortunately no news out of Pinball Adventures. Right. Um, I, uh, I did check the uh, uh, Team Pinball uh, uh, Facebook uh, page as well. Uh, Team Pinball has mm-hmm. been uh, designing... Uh, some of the games that are supposed to be uh, manufactured by Pinball Adventures, uh, but their latest update is also from a couple of months ago. Um, now I do recall that you attended the uh, UK Pinball Show or whatever it's called these I days. I did. Yes. Um, UK Pinfest part- is, uh, is UK the name. Pinfest. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which I'd like you to talk about as well. But what I'm uh, tying in with this. Subject, uh, did you happen to run into any of the uh, Team Pinball uh, members? Funnily enough, I did. Um, I ran into uh, Janos, that, who was there, to really there to buy some some parts from, uh, from the vendors who were set up there. Where well, yeah. we, we didn't actually talk about uh, the Pinball Adventures uh, oh, game because uh, we. What did we, he say? Well, no, we didn't talk about it because uh, we were talking about um, another potential project, another retheming, which. Um, I was able to uh, send their way as a as a promotional a, a promotional pinball that was rethemed um, for a particular particular company. And if it, it had happened, then I would have been doing a story about it. But unfortunately, the time scale was just a little bit too tight for for that to be uh, pushed through in the in the time available. So that that's something which uh, is probably going to happen in the future 
with a few with a uh, an upcoming product launch, but right now um, that that didn't happen. But, so we talked about that. We didn't talk about Pinball Adventures because uh, basically um, it's it seems a pretty uh, sort of dormant project at the moment. Uh, no one's no one is uh, showing any signs of any progress on it. Right. Okay. Well, if there's any news, hopefully we can report it soon. Yes. Um, just on the on the uh, well, we talked about uh, UK Pinfest and going back to something we talked about earlier. The, they did have the Pinball Brothers Alien Machine next to the Highway Pinball Alien Machine. So it was right. uh, interesting to do the comparison between the two. I didn't get a chance to play them because they were in use all the time, and I was busy reporting and didn't have that much time to play. But um, I, I kind of still like the look of the highway pinball one. It looks uh, looks more interesting. The the um, sort of standard cabinet shape, I think, doesn't uh, doesn't make it stand out in the way that the uh, the more rounded, taller back box of the highway pinball one did. And uh, of course, it doesn't have the uh, rotating beacons on the top either. So that's another feature that's missing, and doesn't have the big screen, which. Uh, it's also a shame, but on the other hand, you know, it's a, it's a production version and, it, and it's going to be more reliable, one would hope. But I was interested to see that uh, the same code from uh, Brian Domney, as he was doing the code for the Pinball Brothers ones, and also done the code for the Highway Pinball one. So those two are basically running the same software now, even mm. though they're completely different uh, board systems and, and from different manufacturers. So... Uh, um, other than that, it was a great show. Congratulations to uh, everyone involved in the organisation of it, particularly Phil Murphy. And uh, thanks for his assistance in that. There was 101 pinball machines. It was definitely quieter. Uh, I'd say 101 free play pinball machines. There were, there were 10 in the main tournament. There were uh, eight in the classics. There were two NBA um, and NBA challenge machines as well. So, and, and there were another four that were set up in the lobby, which were the uh, on paper play or uh, high school tournament machines. So, and right. they, they were the most recent ones. They had things like um, Mandalorian. There, a couple of Mandalorians there, and um, Avengers in the Infinity Quest was there as well, and Turtles as well. So, well, at least you had a chance to play those. Um, absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I still haven't played anything new after Stranger Things. Yeah, I didn't get a huge amount of time, but uh, one, one game that I did play, uh, probably about three or four games on, was um, Avengers Infinity Quest. And I quite liked it. I thought it was an interesting game. It had some nice shots. And uh, the rules seemed understandable to me, which is, is something which uh, everybody there was saying. No, I, I, said this, I said this just now, and um, it bears repeating that uh, the rules are too complicated for the majority of modern games. But uh, people seem to understand that and, and appreciated it. So it uh, it was a profitable show, apparently, uh, even though even though there was probably only about 60% of the normal numbers there. That meant it wasn't packed and you could get on a game. It, was, uh, it wasn't too hot in the hall, and uh, overall it was a very pleasant show. I spent most of my time talking to people, which is probably why you all hear... I've got a slightly deeper voice now than uh, normal. Oh, so sexy! Oh well, baby. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> calm down, steady, steady, Jonathan. Um, yes, yeah, so I spent a lot of time talking to people and ended up with a hoarse voice at the end of every day, just because uh, after two years of, of not going to shows and, and not and uh, not going to any mass gatherings at all, uh, spending 
the entire day talking to people did take its toll. But uh, it had nothing to do with all the beer that was consumed at all, of course. No, of course not. No, no, no. no. no you, you have to keep your throat wet if you do so much Oh, that's talking, right. So. Well, UK Pin Fest will be back next year, and I thoroughly recommend it. And, of course, there's a, there's a full article about it on Pimple News. Right, yeah. I regret not being able to go, but... Uh, you were well, missed, yes. Yes. A lot of people asked whether you were coming along, and a lot of people were also complimentary about this particular podcast. So, uh, right. thank you for all the nice comments. Right, okay. Um, so, uh, let's do a quick roundup of uh, all the other news mm -hmm. uh, that is um, currently uh, available. Um, I'll let you take the first one. Okay. Uh, well, our, our old friend Christopher Franchi, uh, famed pinball artist and uh, well, artist in general, really. Um, he's not doing pinball stuff at the moment, uh, at least not, not for production games, maybe games in development. But he is doing, he, he did the Batman 66 artwork amongst other games. And he's offering some Batman posters limited to 66 prints. They are 20 inches by 32 inches and basically show Batman and Robin climbing up the side of a building, uh, pulling a rope with the bat signal in the background uh, in a sort of a typically stylized um, way that, um, that matches what's in the, in the Batman 66 pinball. These are available, as I say, limited to 66, $200 each, and which includes shipping in the US. I think it's $175 plus $25 shipping. Only available in the US. No, he's not uh, prepared to send them internationally. Uh, if you want to find out more, go to his Facebook page, which uh, is facebook.com slash metaluna5media. That's M-E-T-A-L-U-N-A -E -E 5 and then media. And it doesn't matter with the casing on it. Um, just uh, facebook.com metaluna5media. And he will have details of how to contact him to order one of those. Yeah, there's actually more news about Christopher French. He as um, uh, last night he uh, announced, or he actually showed on his uh, on the on the same Facebook page that you just mentioned, mm -hmm. um, an alternative uh, translate for Halloween. Ah, yes. uh, by uh, Spooky Pinball, but apparently he didn't get the permission to uh, to move forward with that. And uh, he doesn't want to go into uh, too much details, but you can take a look at what the art, uh, what, the, what the artwork uh, looked like. Yeah, it seemed a so, bit uh, uh, annoyed, shall we say, uh, that uh, that all the work he put into that then wasn't ultimately able to be used. Yeah. So, uh, but but do take a look at uh, uh, Metaluna Five Media uh, on uh, on Facebook, and the link will also be available in the uh, Pimble Magazine newsletter, as I mentioned earlier. Along with pictures, I'm sure. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Mm. Okay. So, then we also have some news from uh, Ryan Clayter, who is a, uh, a comic book artist. I suppose you can call him that, an illustrator and lecturer. Um, Yes, and uh, um, uh, he published uh, Coin Up Carnival number one, which uh, featured the story of uh, uh, Wayne Nyans, mm -hmm. uh, which is also extensively covered in uh, Pimble Magazine number five. Um, but uh, uh, Ryan actually featured it as a sort of uh, comic book uh, story in, uh, in comic, uh, Coin Up Carnival number one. And uh, well, there's uh, some news uh, about that. 
um, uh, which is that uh, the first issue of Coin Up Carnival uh, will be in the um, uh, upcoming Diamond Previews edition, which is sort of a catalog um, for uh, comic book stores, where they basically order their stock. Um, so that could mean that uh, uh, lots of uh, more uh, American and international comic book stores mm. uh, might decide to stock up on Coin Up Carnival number one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, again, the link to that will be in uh, in Jonathan's newsletter, which um, will be available in what a couple of weeks' time. You think? No, no, no a couple of weeks. No, later this week. Oh, right. That's soon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, if, if you can't uh, wait for that, um, then uh, the Di- Diamond Previews um, edition is, uh, is available at previewsworld.com slash catalogue, um, American spelling of catalogue, C-A-T-A-L-O-G. So um, if you go there, then I'm sure if you search for Coin Up Carnival or uh, browse some of the more uh, recent editions, then you'll be able to find it there. Right, and I believe there's more uh, news about uh, Ryan Clayter. Certainly is, yeah. Um, Ryan had previously done a a collaboration with Mr. Jones Watches, uh, who are based in London, to produce a uh, one of basically put one of his artworks onto the dial of a. uh, This is a physical watch, not a not a smart watch or a digital watch. Um, And um, he's he's had another collaboration with them on on a different uh, design. So a new model called Ricochet, which shows three robots playing pinball, uh, with the time shown on the score display of the uh, electromechanical game. Uh, it's a limited edition model, and uh, the bad news is, if you fancy getting one of them, you're too late because it's already sold out. Uh, at, the price was 245 UK pounds, which is around about, um, I guess, about 300 euros or uh, a little, little more in dollars. But um, the good news is that uh, there are plans for more, more designs to be produced. So um, if you would like to go and see what, what you missed out on, or uh, we put, or even be put on a waiting list for future releases, then uh, if you go to mrjoneswatches.com uh, and then have a look in the, the, the men's watches and there's the, the ricochet one, you can see what uh, how it looked. There was, uh, apart from the... Uh, the actual numbers appear all the time, be appearing in the in the score window. There was also a, a sort of second hand, but it's, it's like a disc which spins, but it's underneath the playfield, and it uh, makes sort of makes it look like the lights are uh, changing colour or flashing on the playfield every uh, every second, which is uh, uh, a nice added feature. So uh, yeah, it looks it looks a very a very uh, attractive product, and uh, yeah, I'd be certainly looking out for the next one. The only downside, the only negative I could possibly say to it is, um, it's not great if you actually, if your eyesight is not perfect and you want to know what the time is, because the the actual digits are, are quite small. But uh, it's a very attractive looking uh, timepiece, and uh, as with all Mister Jones watches, it's uh, it's very nicely put together. So uh, he's waiting for the next um, Ryan Clayter Mister Jones watches collaboration. Okay, so well. Um in previous episodes, we already mentioned that the Museum of Pinball in Banning is uh, uh, closed and they will be auctioning off uh, their entire collection of uh, uh, over 
1100 uh, units, uh, pinball machines and arcade games. Mm-hmm. And uh, the news is uh, that uh, this auction will take place uh, during the month of September in two weekends, uh, spread over two weekends. Uh, the first weekend is the 10th to 12th of September, and the second weekend is the uh, 24th to 26th of September. Yeah. The uh, the auction is being uh, organized by the uh, captions, uh, Captain's Auctions Warehouse, and uh, there's a catalog um, uh, available on their website, um, and you can register, or you need to register to uh, to place a bid, of course. Um, and it's uh, uh, well, of course. Uh, once you go through the catalog, uh, each item has a uh, uh, a catalog number, and the uh, the, the the schedule uh, for the dates also indicates which lots will be auctioned off when. So, um, uh, so if you're interested in uh, uh, buying uh, one or more of those games, then you can easily find out which dates you should be uh, keeping a close eye on that auction. Yes, you can you can bid either in person if you happen to be wanting to go to Banning and uh, and and browse the machines themselves, which you can do actually on the morning of uh, each day of the auction. The ones who the, the machines that which are up for auction that day, you you can. Uh, you can take a look at them for a couple of hours before the the action starts with the auction. Or, of course, they're all available online on the Captain Captain's Auction Warehouse website. Right. So I haven't. Uh, well, I have seen some of these auctions uh, taking place, mm. uh, but I've never bid on uh, on on one of them. Uh, I will be curious because there is a that there, there are games that I might be interested in. Although um, you also have to wonder, okay, there's like uh, obviously a markup for uh, for for the, uh, the auction house, as well as shipping, and with shipping being so expensive, I'm not sure it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's these are going to go for a premium, I'm sure, and uh, with the buyer's premium on top, and uh, I don't think there's tax to pay on that as well, but it does seem to add up to around about uh, I think what 25 percent above the hammer price. Yeah. By the time right. everything is is uh, included, and you you do have to get the machines out of there quickly. I think you right. you've only got a few days. Um, if, right. if you don't, well, it, it, it it will be interesting to see. Of of course, uh, I think there's uh, thirteen hundred twenty two lots that are being auctioned, uh, or at least the numbering goes up to uh, to that number. Mm-hmm. Um, now, usually when there is a a huge uh, uh, amount of pinball machines being offered. Uh, prices tend to be on the on the low end, in the sense that, uh, especially with, I suppose, uh, uh, electromechanical games and so on. I, I can't see those doing a thousand, two thousand dollars for each and every one, um, which would be, in my opinion, on the high end for uh, electromechanical games. On the other hand, uh, yeah, there's a. Uh, quite a few Stern limited editions uh, in the collection, and some uh, some rarer games, which mm. there is already a lot of talk on uh, on pin side. Uh, but the question is, or well, it will be interesting to see, like okay, if those uh, uh, collectible games are uh, up at the end, will they go for top dollar, or will everybody already have spent their money on other games because they tended to go for. Uh, prices that they weren't expecting to be that attractive, um, and they might be out of money. So the top 
uh, uh, rated games could go for less as well. There are plenty of opportunities, oh, plenty of uh, possibilities of what, what might happen. But uh, my my suspicion is that things will will in the first auction will uh, probably go for top dollar, and probably a little bit lower in the second one for anything other than the, the most valuable or most sought after titles. But I think it's still going to be you no. Know, uh, I don't think you're going to get many bargains there because I think so many so many eyes on that particular auction. That um, it's, it's yeah, really... but not not everybody's looking at the same items, of course. No, so... no, absolutely not. No, no. But there's, there's going to be you know, there's going to be the EM collectors who are eyeing up those, and um, and and I I suspect that we there won't be any bargains to be had. That, that's my guess. Well, I uh, assume we can uh, cover the auction in our uh, next monthly. Oh, we uh, certainly weekend. will. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so let, let's see how it turns out uh, next month. So. Yes. Um, moving on, I suppose, because I'd really like to round this up. Mm, yeah. Um, uh, well, there's a bit of um, um, odd news, I would say, from uh, this week in Pinball. Um, Jeff posted on his uh, website. Jeff uh, Pet, uh, Peterson is uh, Peterson. Peterson, what is it? Uh, he, he posted a uh, an article in in which he explained that he will be taking a break from uh, this week in Pinball for um, an uh, uh, undecided amount of time, um, and it suggests that it has to do. Uh, with uh, some of the deep root coverage that he did, and he uh, re- received some threats about that, which is um, more highly unusual, I would say. Yeah, and uh, obviously unacceptable for uh, anyone who's trying to to offer uh, fair and balanced coverage of uh, of the news in the pinball world to to uh, have to suffer that kind of thing. If it, if that's exactly what it was, we don't really know. Because it's uh, he hasn't gone into details, but uh, we were surprised. I think we're both surprised that um, yes. in at that, but also at uh, most recently, then in the uh, the coverage that he gave to the the current deep root situation that uh, that we've reported on here and uh, and is on Pinball News and, and elsewhere and, and heavily on Pinside that uh, there was I think it was like three sentences about it in uh, this week in Pinball, which uh, which is indicative of. Uh, there being some concerns over over the coverage and uh, more than that though we've no idea how many got uh, well we'll have to wait to see what 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 the story is that comes out about that but uh, we obviously can't um, can't uh, support any any uh, threat to uh, to the freedom of uh, of uh, sites like this week in pinball to uh, to report the news yeah, so, uh, well, uh, we hope that uh, Jeff is okay and uh, that he will be back yeah. uh, whenever he feels comfortable coming back. Yeah, and certainly in time for the Twippies in, uh, in March next year. Yeah, so, and, uh, okay. Um, this is in danger of turning into a bit of a, bit of a downer at the end of the, of the, of the podcast, but... Uh, no, well, I got <laughs> good news for you, or, or maybe not. Um, my phone is ringing. Oh, great. Oh, really? Oh, but we're just yeah. saying how 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 long this is already. Have we? Yeah, have we really I know. got time? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. So for those uh, uh, not aware, um, uh, Gary Flower is a, uh, uh, you, uh, a regular wannabe guest mm-hmm. on our uh, show, and um, uh, he happens to be calling in right now. But we just have we have one 
other news item uh, yeah, to discuss, and I really run, wanted to round this up. And we already had three interviews. I, 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 I think we've had I enough. I think we have to postpone this one. And uh, I'm, I'm yeah, sorry, sorry, Ari. But, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, soon. Sorry, honestly. Uh, yeah. It, so, it, um, you, yeah. you need to get in earlier. That's the thing. No, no, yeah. no, no good calling right at the end like that. When, uh, no. Yeah. And, and we already had three guests. We have. So. Yeah. Well, four yeah. guests, three interviews. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be to- uh, talking to him later to see what he had to. Uh, yeah. Uh, to, uh, what he was calling about. But, uh, oh well. Uh, maybe next time. Okay. Final so, news. Uh, so the, the the final final news item is also uh, a bit of a bummer, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, it has to do with uh, John Yaussi, who is, um, uh, as as many of you might know, a um, uh, artist, um, um, graphic artist, I would say, um, known for his album covers, but also, especially if you're into pinball, for uh, the the artwork that he did for games like uh, Funhouse and Whirlwind and uh, Dialed In is his yeah uh, close collaborator with uh, Pat Lauder on on his his titles uh, right but but yeah. also um, done other other titles as well and uh, yeah yeah very distinctive very detailed and uh, you know things like Funhouse of course which is uh, um, so iconic but anyway. Yes. Um, Tell us, yeah. tell us what's happened with John. Well, um, he suffered a flood in his house um, August seventh, uh, 17th, that was, after yeah. a uh, plumber broke the main water pipe. Uh, that that uh, resulted in quite a few damaged artworks. Um, the good news is that uh, the most valuable ones were in cabinets and were untouched, but in the meantime, John has uh, posted some some of the images uh, that were damaged on his Facebook page, and uh, yeah, it's still not not. No, uh, there are a few there not, which not, uh, probably aren't going to be salvageable. But uh, but fortunately, um, they, most of the, uh, as he said, most of the uh, most valuable ones, or most uh, I, um, I say iconic again, but uh, most recognisable to, to anybody in the pinball world, uh, were were not amongst those that suffered the damage. But there's some. You can see uh, the range of his work as well by, by having a look at the pictures on his uh, Facebook page. Uh, that's John Yaussi, uh, Y-O-U-S-S-I. Right. So, uh, And that rounds it up for um, the month of August 2021. Indeed, and, uh, yeah. Well, we're uh, very happy if you're still here, that you're still here. <laughs> and uh, if you're not no longer here, well, first of all, you won't be hearing this, but uh, we understand this was a very lengthy uh, podcast with uh, three interviews. So we'd like to thank uh, uh, Jerry and Rory from Multimorphic, mm-hmm. David Fix and Michael Inowski from uh, Homebin from coming on the show. Uh, thank you, uh, Martin Ayup, uh, for uh, uh, being here and uh, discussing the news with me. My pleasure, Jonathan Houston. Yeah, and uh, well, I'd love to. Uh, we'd we'd love to to uh, continue uh, next month and maybe even sooner uh, if we're doing a special coverage on whatever Stern might be bringing us uh, the coming month, uh, uh, September twenty twenty one. So hopefully, uh, uh, well. Until next month, and maybe maybe earlier. Yeah, we look forward to seeing you then. And in the meantime, stay safe and enjoy some pimple. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.